Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Hander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And as always, it goes without saying, we've got a packed show in store for you. We're going to be talking Whitecaps, we're going to be talking MLS. Euros, Canada national team, maybe even a little bit of Copa America thrown in if we've got time. We'll see how all that goes. Regular listeners will know that we're starting off all our weekend shows, though, with the the gift that keeps on giving. Zach is ripping his open just now. It's Steve's Christmas present to us, a 2011 upper deck pack of cards. We're opening a pack a week, and Steve sadly wasn't on the show with us last week so you, you don't know this steve okay. i pulled out alex morgan oh wow it turns out we, we started googling steve you yep, told us not yeah. to and it turns out alex morgan that was her rookie card and it's going yep. for three figures no yeah I, I i knew there was one uh there's a couple cards in there that was very valuable I think I mentioned that when I first met, mm. I mentioned the Alex Morgan card at that time. So mm. I, I got that. So I don't know if that's going to be in, in Zach's later one as well, but obviously it's straight up oh, in the it's, bay. So it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a guarantee that, uh, that you get one in every box. Oh, we, we just haven't hit any doubles yet. No, it's very odd, but I, I'm, I'm quite happy. I'm happy. Yeah. Well, yeah, let, let's better, see what, let's see better, what we've got in this pack. Better selection than shoppers, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I'm oh. going to start off with, uh, so it says midfield forward, but I know him more as a midfielder. It's his uh, card from Sporting Kansas City. I think he's wearing, yeah, he's wearing the Wiz, but we probably know him here in Cascadia better for being a Portland Timber. You have this card, Michael. It's Jack Jewsbury. Oh, I, I've had a quick flick through mine. I might have a double in this, or I might just be mixing it up with ones that you've got. I've got all my cards upstairs at the moment, but we're going to start off with a sounder. He is a defender, had previously been with the Earthquakes, James Riley. Oh, you do have him, I'm pretty sure. Oh, he wasn't, first... one that, he wasn't one of the ones that I thought was a double, so that's not oh, good. <laughs> I think that, I think, uh, this is not a double for me, but this is someone actually in your starting 11. He started off as a fullback and he moved into the middle, uh, played for 
So this card is with Colorado Rapids. Played for Toronto FC. It's Marvel Lynn. Oh, yes. Yes, he's in my 11. He's in the snow. Don't lose your nut, Steve. It's Sporting KC's Jimmy Nielsen. <laughs> oh, yeah. You have that one. I, th- I th- Oh, no. I ha- I could have a few doubles in this pack then. Well, then we can trade, maybe. Mm. I, if I if I had that card, I'd get it autographed by uh, Craig McEwen. Michael, <laughs> I, th- I think you have this guy. This is a guy... Who I'm gonna have to give a look, give a think about about my starting eleven. He could replace Juan Pablo on Hell. Uh, this is uh, from Real Salt Lake. It's Alvaro Saborio. Yeah. Oh, did you put him in? Player. I didn't put him in. No. So he's yours if you want him. My next player. card: Columbus Crew defender with their old logo, the Men at Work kind of YMCA guys. Defender Andy Iro. Oh, nice. I can't remember if you had this one last week, Michael, or not. This is from the Boston Breakers defender, Jordan Agnelli. Um, my next one, DC United. Forward, Santino Caranta. Oh, I thought you were going to say Santino Morello. I'd <laughs> be I, a weird one I have in the pack. I think I need to go put on those like gloves when you hold the Stanley Cup because I have the card we were just talking about. It's Alex Morgan. <gasps> oh, you got one too. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Let's no, get really them up on eBay. Box. We'll get a couple of hundred each for it. That'll pay us for our, our flights to cover Canada later on in the year. And we'll send a postcard to Steve. But thanks for, <laughs> as I said, it's a gift that keeps on giving. It's paying for our future endeavours. Um, my penultimate card, it's another defender. Houston Dynamo, Mike Chabala. Oh, I'm pretty sure I have that one. I would get a sleeve though for those Alex Morgan cards. Oh, I've I've, yeah. I've already put a sheath on her. Uh, this one you had last week, I'm sure, because we were looking it up, talking about it. This is uh, a he's a I think a left fullback. Well, it says he played left mid, left fullback. Uh, Ramiro Corrales from San Jose Earthquake. Oh, now I don't know if I've got this card or you've got this card. I think it's you, but it might also be me, which would be a double. It's her. Favorite or one of her favorite sounders to abuse at Swan Guard Stadium. Portugal Levesque. Oh, yeah, I have him. I have him. Ah, good. It's not my double then. I might have a double in there. I'll have to check. But I can't complain. I got Alex Morgan. Yes. Excellent. And maybe maybe Saborio on my team. If we're lucky, we might get some other Alex Morgan doubles in our pack. <laughs> anyway, that is then it for our cards. Then we'd have one for Steve. Yeah, if we do get a double, we'll, we'll give Steve one. That's a highly odd. I, I can't believe you got one in each of them. That was surprising. I I was shocked, Steve. When I, you know, those, I mean, I know you got a, You said you got a, a good deal, but I was shocked when I saw how much those these, these how much these boxes were going for. Yeah, I was too. I thought maybe that there was like a special edition or something like that, but I don't think they are. I think well, the, there are different kinds of boxes for this yeah. this, yeah. this season. But this box, I've looked it up, and it's several hundred dollars. I think the lowest was one fifty, but it goes up to like I don't know three fifty or something. Yeah. Wow. And part of, of it's because part of it part of the selling point is the Alex Morgan card. I, yeah. As I mentioned to Caitlin a lot, because regular listeners of the show will know that I am a, a collector of memorabilia. It's only worth what people are prepared to pay for it. Right. So we can say, oh, I've got this card that's worth a couple of hundred. If no one wants to pay it, it's really not. But somebody might want to pay over the odds. Of course, getting a little signature on that somewhere along the line 
would increase it greatly. So I'll see if I can work on that. But that, that is it for our football cars. We won't go into that too much. We've got a packed football show to get into. Sadly, though, we have to start by talking about the Whitecaps. Do we have to? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel we have to, because then it's only uphill after that. Uh, that's that's how I'm looking at my basis of the show. We were wondering how they would be after their long break, 27 days away from the action. Would they be comfortable with a stadium now that they're playing in, used to the altitude against the team that always plays there? Would they come out of the blocks sluggish as we've seen in previous years, like that Montreal game at BC Place that we always hark back to? We didn't know what to expect. Well, we soon found out because the first half was a pretty dreadful performance by the Whitecaps. The opening few minutes in particular, I I thought were absolutely dreadful by them. They were giving the ball up. Max Cropot had to make a couple of big saves. They looked better in the second half. They probably could even have gone ahead in in the game. Ended up, though, losing 3-1. We won't delve too much into the game. More stuff coming out of the game and and where to go next, I I think. But before we get into it, it's a 3-1 loss. Leaves the Whitecaps second bottom or joint bottom, depending on how pessimistic you want to be in the Western Conference standings after the the weekend's results. Steve, let's start with you. Just what's your overall thoughts? What, what did you make of this one? It seemed like they were they were trying they're struggling to find the form. I um just like it it just didn't seem that they were on it right off the bat. It would seem very well, but since the beginning of the season, they've never been that great to start off a game. So it's kind of, no. it was kind of this, very similar uh, to what they were doing all year long. Um, the only, and it looked like they were going to be able to, by the end of it, get away with a point kind of like steal a point. Um, obviously just bat, uh, once again, you know, even though they might not have deserved it, they still, it was still a lot of bad luck there, especially on that, uh, that winning game, winning gold, bad luck. And plus obviously poor defending. Um, you can't really let in a throw-in goal, throw-in from uh, into the box, uh, get into the net. So yeah, just overall, just a really disappointing for to, considering where they were at that ninetieth minute mark. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. It it was a it was a break that it, it's happened when Copa America's on, the Euros are on. There's a lot of exciting football to watch. It was a little bit hard. To, to get up for, for watching this game. And at the end of it, Zach, it just left me wishing that the break was longer. And right now, this is not a fun team to watch, never mind have to, to analyse it in a in a show afterwards. And it's probably a good job that your, your card opening helper, Kirk, isn't here tonight because there, there could be swearing in, in this show as we, we go over some of the stuff. But I mean, what did you make of it all? Well, we've described uh, these last few weeks of the, the month of June uh, as a, a feast of football. Mm. And sometimes when you're at a feast, sometimes like you eat too much, like you should have stopped a little bit earlier. Yes. And yesterday was a, a day of six games. If you watch three Euro games and two Copa America games and then yeah. the Whitecaps have finished it off. And so it was, yeah, th- there was definitely a feeling at the end of it that, yeah, I could have done without this one. I was. I had my football fill. I had some 
some quality uh, dishes uh and didn't really need the dessert came and not only was it disappointing it left you feeling sick afterwards yeah i think that kind of sums it up that's a a very good analogy i i I like that if i would if i would say it was a dessert it would be like a sugar-free dessert like what was the point oh yes or i bought a gluten-free scone once it was the (laughs) worst baked good i've ever bought in my life i thought i would try it but in one sense, it was disappointing. In another sense, it wasn't surprising. I think you called a 3-1 or 2-1 game. I called a 2-1 game. Steve wasn't here, but we know he would have said 2-1 to the Whitecaps. No, no. I actually didn't think they were going to. They've never had a good outing after a long break like that. I would have no. definitely sought a loss in that one. For sure. I've, got, I've got a say. No, I'm serious. I, yeah, I'm, the, I'm not just trolling. I probably, during the show, I would have trolled for sure. But honestly, I would have I would have expected to uh, for them to lose this game. The, Mon- the Montreal after World Cup game is what you always come yes. to mind, right, Steve? Yeah, this, this was the the RSL after Euros game. It was during Euros. Yeah, <laughs> but the, the the game itself, I mean, it started off terribly for the Whitecaps. If it wasn't for Max Cropole, we could have been two down in the opening ten minutes. It was a makeshift defence. You've got Bruno Gaspar, you've got Jake Nowinski out injured. Before the game started, I was actually in a confident mood. I'm putting that down to being buoyed by, by Scotland getting a point against England. And I was like, I changed my tune. I thought maybe it's going to be 2-1 to the Whitecaps. After the first couple of minutes, I was like, foolish me being optimistic about that. But it was a makeshift backline in in ways, but they were just getting burned Javain Brown picked up a booking three minutes in, which initially I thought was harsh, and then I saw the replay and I was like, oh no, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fair booking for a wild, wild kick at a knee. But, I mean, the, the white caps eventually settled, and it wasn't an overly exciting game, but then it sprung to life two minutes before the interval. The danger man, we've talked about him so much this season when we've been doing our, our MLS recaps, we know he's the guy that the Whitecaps had to play, pay close attention to. Demir Krylak, lovely little backheel. I think it was Rusnik that backheeled it straight into his path, edge of the box. Low shot. It took a deflection of Godoy that sent that the wrong way from where Max Kripal was diving. Nice touch afterwards. Max was consoling Godoy, who looked very upset by it. So, I mean, it's good to see that they were upset by it in a kind of perverse way, if you know what I mean. But, I mean, you felt it was kind of coming, and I don't think it was a surprise that RSL went into the break with a lead. The nature of it was was maybe the, the most surprising part of it. Yeah, he's the danger. He's like the danger man in that side. And they they didn't do well enough to, to, to close him down. Uh, we, we were texting about this or messaging about this. I, I'm still somewhat shocked that Rusnak is not with the Czech Republic at, yeah. at, at the Euros. It, it, it feels like he's a player they could use, if not like not necessarily as a starter, but definitely in their side at this tournament. So RSL is really fortunate to have their most consistent and quality creator in their team to help them the, the way they did in this match. It was such a clever back heel, Steve. It's like he he didn't look, he just knew Krylach was there. And, and that's, that's the kind of chemistry we can just hope to, to eventually have in the Whitecaps. 
Yeah, and that's where, you know, like you said, they've been working together for a long time. Um, you can't really buy that off the, uh, you know, transfer market, that kind of chemistry, yeah. that kind of consistency. Just and that's where they and, and yeah, yeah and, th and that's where you have to have like somebody come in and them spend time together. Like the whole notion of, you know, buying and selling and everything that does work and you should be doing that. Uh, but you got to have some consistency where you have people that are committed to the club for multiple years where you know where the other guy's going to be. And uh, these two guys have it for sure. Uh, in addition to a few others. And, and, and the people, the thing is other teammates feed off that when they see that and they, and they kind of get an idea of what these guys are at. So it, it kind of, kind of spreads throughout the whole team when you have two players that are, are connected so well. And, that, and that's one of the things we've talked about with a club like RSL in the past, they, they build in such a way that they have, a significant group of players stick around to build that chemistry, to know who they are, to know how the, how each other plays. And yeah. I think you're right, Steve. I think th this, this was an example of that paying off. Well, if you look at some of the, the teams that's really successful so far this season, Seattle got your core, Portland got your core, Colorado got your core, Philadelphia in the East. And I mean, listening to Axel in the show last week, he said at the end of the season, they'll review the guys that they brought in two years ago, see if they've met the standards that they need, if they need to improve upon them, strengthen them, make the necessary changes, indicating there likely would be changes. So once again, you're like moving folk on and switching folk in and out. And sometimes it works by bringing the, the new guys in. Whitecaps, it, it certainly worked because they're new boy getting his first start up front for the Caps, Brian White, tied things up in the 54th minute. Now, let's be honest, he didn't have a great first half. Mark DeSantis said afterwards that he felt that White was maybe a little bit nervous. He definitely had some poor touches. At the same time, he was like on an island. There was just no service to him. He must have been wondering exactly what have I come to I can't get the ball it's like he's a guy that thrives in the six yard box much like what MDS said when we, we spoke to him that he wants Kava to to do like he wants Kava to be in and around the six yard box and to do that you've got to get the service into the box this time the service came in great ball in from Javain Brown white Knocked it in, aided by Aaron Herrera. It kind of obviously came off him. I'd have put it down as an own goal. It's been given to, to Brian White. Great to, to get off to, to a start like that. It was a great goal, but the ball in from Brown, Zach, was just tremendous. You have to, yeah, you have to give plaudits to, to, to Brown for the quality of his pass. This was a goal, right, that in our chat I felt was offside, right? Yeah, I did as well initially. I've watched it back today and I don't. I was kind of looking where the feet were and White was on side. Yeah. And Very we to... close, but yeah. And it was yeah. a bad camera angle too. If that's the one they were using for the review, that was a bad camera yeah. angle. Oh, on, if... a, on a side note, maybe unrelated, maybe not. Do you know how to get marker pen off a 4K TV screen? I was drawing <laughs> my lines. And I well, used the wrong pen. We were having this this debate in our chat about you know how some of how some goals are called back and some aren't, um, and what and what that looks like. Because that goal to me, 
by, I don't, in, in certain places in the world, I don't think, I think would have been called back because it's not just where your feet are. They use the lines to draw a line down. I think you've seen it at the Euro. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a place that, figure. if it's a, a part of the body that can score. Now, from, from me looking at it, it looks like it was just his arms that were more offside, maybe a shoulder. But his feet were definitely behind the guy. Yes. But you're so what, talking inches. Yeah, and so what they use though is I think it's like the I think it's the armpit. I don't think it's the, I don't think the arm counts. I think it's here, and it just it just look off, offside. I've seen goals I've seen goals like that called back, and they they show this is where the you know they show. Where yeah, but the uh, MLS doesn't use the lines at all. Uh, yeah. they don't and use Howard the Webb said they definitely will not be using that. And 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 I think that's got a lot to do with the marketing of the league because they do want goals to. They don't want to be calling yeah. back yeah. goals that much, so they will give a goal as much as they can. And and even even like you mentioned before, own goals. Uh, if it like a lot of Americans will not understand what the hell an own goal is. Like in um, ice hockey, when when a goal goes off anybody, it's whoever the last player to touch it on the uh, on the team that scored. Um, we'll get that credit for that goal. So that's mm. usually out there. So maybe they're doing the same thing like this. But if it's not clear, I don't think they'll ever. Well, yeah, do that. that that was what I was going to say, Zach. It's like it wasn't clear and obvious either way. So you've got to go with what the referee says on the pitch. But, but that's why that's why with VAR and that's why in some of these other places around the world who, and I understand why MLS. I agree with you, Steve. MLS might not want to do that because they might want more goals. I I, I could totally see that being one of their rationale for it and cost. And maybe the tech, there's technology that that you need that's added to that. But to like to me, like you, if, if you talk about clear and obvious, you want you want to know was it onside or offside? And this is uh, aside from the debate of do we really want to be calling things back for a toenail and whatever? Like that's a different discussion. But if you want to just know is it is it right? Then that's why you you use things like lines, you use things like technology to to decipher. And uh, I don't know. To me, it just it looked like it looked like in mo in many places around the world that would have been called back. I can't remember exactly how it went in though because it, I, for a goal for a goal to be for a goal to be an own goal, what has to happen is it's if the original shot or the last touch from the offensive team, if that touch is not going onto the frame and goes off of a, a defending uh, mm. a defending player. And that takes it into that. That's how it's an own goal. So yeah. I think I think yeah. I think I think White's um, might be right because I think his touch was going towards the frame and it hit the guy and went in. I would say his touch was if it had just kept un unhindered, it would have gone probably into the back far corner. Yeah. So then, then, then the right hit then, off the I think the guy's thigh and then just went in. Then my original assessment was wrong, and it should he should be credited with the goal. But I mean, the, the thing about White is we we spoke when when they signed him. He's a guy that is what I have been crying out for many years for the Caps. We had one in Kai Kamara, a guy that can score in MLS. We had one in Freddie Montero, a guy that can score in MLS. But there's, there's been years where we've missed that. We definitely could have done with having more MLS experience in the squad in, in recent years. I think White is going to be a, a good addition, but we'll come to him again a little bit later on in this section. But that made it one all, And then I was quite confident the Whitecats were going to get something out of this. Andy Rose crashed one off the bar. Javane Brown had a couple of headers that went wide. All of those coming from corners. 
which is still clearly the big, big threat that the white caps have. One was a free kick. Oh. Uh, Andy yeah, Rose's right. one was Andy a free kick. But, free but, kick. but, but yeah, basically, set, yeah. Set piece, but yeah. Set piece, yeah, yeah. But then the, the breakthrough didn't come. So it was tied at one. And then the incident that the MDS feels was one of the big turning points of the game. Late on, Christian Gutierrez gets an injury. The, the update on that is it's a rib contu- contusion. Oh. And he's day-to-day, but he's feeling a lot better. Whether it might be too soon to throw him into the game on Wednesday, I don't know. We need him. We miss him. We clearly saw we missed him when, when he went off. So he got injured. He tried to carry on. He couldn't go on. So he was taken off. Initially, Russell Tybert came on to fill it left back. I was like, oh no, this this is not not good. Mark obviously thought the same. And then brought on Derek Cornelius to be at left back, which I was more comfortable with. And with Russell Russell in front of him. Yeah. Until the the third goal. But anyway, we'll we'll come to that because let's get to the second goal first. So the game goes into stoppage time. I'm thinking, ah, oh, probably a share of the points. Both teams still maybe confident they could get something from it. But it was RSL. Two minutes into stoppage time. Aaron Herrera. He's got a fucking long throw. He's got a fucking long throw. And I love that. I've spoken about it before. It's a much underused route one technique that I just love because it's so hard to defend against. The old West Knight Rory Delap special. Yeah. Yeah. And then then if you have like, uh, what was that team in the... In the lower leagues, that uh, the Washington guy crossfire, yeah, yeah, yeah. crossfire. I don't like the flips. That that takes it a step too far. That's the kind of guy in Scottish football that would then be nailed the next time yes. he was on the ball by some but, hard midfielder. But if he doesn't do the flips, then you can't do the circus music. True. I I, mean, I prefer the flip. I want the flip from the other team. I don't want it from my own team, but I want the flip from the my, the other team. MDS said after the game that they knew that Herrera had this threat, so they had been practicing defending it all week in training. Did not look like that on the actual pitch. As the ball comes in, the guy that ends up flicking it in, Eric Holt, he's got Michael Baldissimo in front of him, and he's got Derek Cornelius behind him. Now, I I was curious when I watched it back this morning, because the height difference was considerable between Holt and Baldy. There is seven inches. Holt is taller than Baldy, 17 centimetres for those that work in that. We all know size is important. Seven inches in particular for a header, especially when a guy can really jump, because I I don't know that I've seen Michael Baldissimo jump a lot, I have to say. Why he was in front of him and it wasn't Cornelius, I don't know. But it wasn't the most strong flick. Well, but, Baldissimo was ahead of somebody in an earlier incident too. I think it was it might have been a corner, so that wasn't the mm. first time it happened. Um, but the, uh, to read that corner, that header, uh, obviously it was almost identical to Andy Rose's uh, when Andy Rose flicked it backwards as well off the bar. Mm. Um, and uh, for me, that's that's just uh, I know it's, the, it's not going to sound like, uh, maybe sound like uh, bitterness or anything, but it's it's very like lucky. It's a lucky well, header. Yeah, it could go. It's anywhere. a lucky header. It could have gone anywhere. He wasn't aiming for anything. He just got it. And then Jermaine Brown with the, uh, if he had been covering the corner, because if you're you're uh, using this as a corner, treating it like a corner, 
and, and training like a corner, you should have somebody at the back post uh, for those kinds of incidents. So, it, well, Javane Brown tried to get there as quick as he could, but he just yeah. he couldn't. Yeah, and it was like a, a failed bicycle attempt to clear it. I, I mean, I, he he gave his effort there. I thought I, I thought he did as as good as he could have. No, and he, was, yeah. and he was close. But the Baldy thing, the positioning and stuff. Do you think that has to do with how they? I mean, because I agree, like uh, MDS was talking about how they, they do, they practice these things. Mm-hmm. So do you think that that has to do with their, their flexible, you know, their flexible zonal marking thing where they want a shorter guy kind of more near that front or something? Like, I, I think, I'm I, just I trying to make sense of it. I'm yeah, trying to make sense I, of it. I, don't know. I, I, feel, I feel like Baldy was there just to nag him uh, and basically just get in the way so he couldn't move forward and get the header on just to impede his progress. Whereas Cornelius was there to maybe... Uh, like block the header if he did get his head on it or something like that. But the other thing as well, like if Cornelius is playing left back, why is he in the middle of the box and there's a couple of folk? Because he's taller. I think that's the main thing. He's taller and he could yeah. maybe get into the head. So, so if he'd been in front, he could have risen and got the head and knocked it away. Yeah. And we'd be having a whole different show that we'd be talking about. Yeah. I mean, it was it was gut wrenching. I was like. Oh. You know, you know, they were extremely disappointed. You know, the coaching staff would have been just livid and frustrated to concede a goal like that at that yeah. time. Uh, Very Mark long Tom- wait for Mark to come out for his post game. Yeah, about a good half hour almost. And he went on and on. I think at, or multiple times he referenced the fact of like, look, we we would have liked to have have been able to play like even Brown at left back because he has experience at left back. But you have two uh, two other right backs who are injured. Your secondary left back got injured in the game, and your starting left back is with the national team and not able to enter the country you're playing in. Yeah. So their their options were, were really 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 limited. In retrospect, in a one one road game where I think taking a point would have been uh, a positive. I, I really think they. I think if Marcus did it again, I think he would have brought in Derek Cornelius right away. And allowed that to maybe uh, settle. Yeah, Rust- Rusty had been ah. stripped, so Rusty was coming on for someone at that. Someone point. else. Oh, yeah, he, he was, was coming, coming on. on. He was coming on from Kyle because they actually yeah, held yeah. the board up, yeah. which surprised yeah. me because I thought if the board was up, then that was like then set. No, but, they change it all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I mean that 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 was gut wrenching. I had no hopes then of them getting back into it. I didn't see them conceding another one, I've got to say, but beautiful header. Crylack again. It was a great header, but it was also an absolutely beautiful ball in from the Iraqi that is allowed to, to play games in America, Justin Miram. He has a green card, right? Yeah, he does. He does. He's born. I think he's born in the U.S. Oh, born okay. in the U.S.A. The thing with Miram as well is, of course, he has been in the the league for a a long time. And as great as his ball was into the box, the defending on the goal, I I thought, was pretty shocking from the Whitecaps' point of view. Rusty was left with two men. He had Herrera in front of him. He had Miram out wide. So obviously you're going to close down the guy that's on the ball. Then as soon as he takes a step forward to do that, Herrera plays the ball out to Miram. Cornelius somehow had been sucked into the, the middle out of position and it just made him had acres of space, whipped it into the box, Krylak at the back, unmarked, header in. It's just one of those goals, Steve, you don't want to give up, but at least thankfully it, was, it didn't, wasn't it 
what cost the yeah. game in the end. It was over. Yeah, at that I think point. The, the game was done and done and dusted at that point. And the thing is, I I think the Eric was really trying to push hard to get the ball back, uh, to push the ball, and that's I think why he got sucked out because they were just. It's it's basically the whole thing about getting stretched out once you're down a goal late in the game. You you just try and do everything you can, and the other team uh, RSL took advantage of that, of them trying to trying to get the ball back. Again, Krylak is so 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 lethal, and he's a difference maker. And he he won them the match. Yeah, you know, yep. he got a brace, opening this open the scoring and sealed the game at, at the death. Yeah, I mean, disappointing in the end. It was maybe what we were expecting when we did the show last week, but I, I, I feel they could have got something out of this. They probably should have got something out of it. Madisonis was quite upbeat at times. I, I kind of thought in the the post game press conference, fairly happy with aspects of the performance. Let's just hear a little bit now from both head coaches. So first of all, we're going to hear from RSL's Freddy Juarez, and then we'll hear from the Whitecaps, Mark DeSantis. Yeah, first, you know, the, the, the group responded well. I think as a whole, they kept going. You know, maybe 25 minutes there, Vancouver was very good and started the second half with everything, and we, we uh, caught us a little off guard, which shouldn't happen. Uh, but it does, right? The the opponent at times just just gets the momentum, and they come at you, and they have nothing to lose. or chasing the game, um, and then and then we put ourselves in those positions. And credit to to Merrim, credit to to Eric who came in, and Everton. I thought they added energy to the group. And then I I, I felt like we were giving trouble um, with the long throwing on Aaron's side since the beginning of the game. And you know, um, there when you get towards the end of the game, you obviously throw a little more numbers up and. Eric put himself in a good spot, and like you said, I'm I'm so excited for him, happy for him. He's, you know, put himself there, got a got a game winner in an important time, and 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 get us the three points, which right now is very important. I'm happy for the group. I'm happy for Albert. I thought he had a very good game. Gave a great assist to to Demir. I'm happy for Demir. That guy's a goal scoring machine. You know, puts himself in. We talked to him about it. You know, get yourself in the fu- in the finishing phase. That's where you're the most dangerous. That's where where you know he wants. He's a player that ha- want, you know puts a lot of responsibility on himself, and and he we, he was just in great attacking um, positions today. Um, but it's I'm happy for the guys. You know, this is this is one of those culture building, team building type of games where you do well, and then the opponent responds, and then you kind of get into like a little, you know sparring you know boxing match and it's just back and forth it's not pretty but and then you know the the response of the guys that's where you build you build and you develop as a team you know you figure out now we know there's belief that you get caught in moments like that you can still win a game um and it's it's fantastic to see that i'm super excited for the guys they deserve it they've been training hard these you know when people talk about there was a big break there's you know there's a break psychologically and and you get to slow down things but the guys keep grinding the the work they put in and and Training in this this heat that came in in the last you know seven days, it's not easy for either team for Vancouver and I'm sure their their coach is, is, is happy as well with with the, their effort. But it's it's uh, it's not easy for the players, and I just it was fantastic to see them pushing towards the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, no, I think the the game was uh, a very equal game until that uh, that injury time moment. I think when when we we felt that when it was. One one, and um, you know we were able to get that goal with Brian. That uh, we would be able to bring uh, more energy uh, from the bench also, and uh, be able maybe to find the two one. Uh, the the injury 
of uh, of uh, of Guti destabilized a little bit uh, what we wanted to do because then we didn't have a natural uh, left back. Uh, we we had uh, with Bruno out and Jake out. We had to to be careful with our shape there. You know, we brought Rusty first and then Derek to close that left side because it's it's more difficult to play with uh, Rusty as a left back in a back four uh, because of the diagonal balls they have in the second post. That's why we wanted to cover that. Then what's disappointing is the, the way they get the 2-1 is in a play that we were very aware. We worked a lot. Everybody knew uh, that was coming. We defended a couple of them. They were not able uh, to, to break us and get dangerous shots in the second half. But then that ball from um, from the throw-in is disappointed. disappointing. Even, again, when it was 1-1, I felt that, that man, I, 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 we just smelled that maybe it would be 2-1 for us. Even Andy, I think it's the crossbar in a set play. Uh, Javain has a great chance in the second post. It's too bad to... Uh, to concede, especially the goal in in that throw in that changed uh, the game. We knew the first half would be average. Uh, everybody coming back from three three weeks, uh, we had a tough time uh, in the pressure from the front. Um, but then you know we were slowly able to grow into the game. If you look, even their first goal comes from a transition moment that we just don't take the right decision in the final turn, uh, third. It's an excellent chance for us. And then from our transition, they come and they get a goal off a deflection. Um, and then in the second half, we were able to adjust uh, some things. We were able to to build. We were able to, to have possession, to press better from the front. Um, so we were seeing growth. And then when we do the 1-1, I just felt the team add the two one in them. He's the gaffer. You can try it up with him. He's the gaffer. Even when he's on a limb. He's the gaffer. When his back's against the wall, has the answer to it all. He's the gaffer. So the gaffer's there, just chatting about the game. Now, one thing that Mark said after the game, Zach, was he expected the first half to be average after four weeks off. Aside from the implications from the Heat, I didn't. I thought they would be a bit more upbeat and intense, but you're setting your expectations pretty low if you're expecting the first half to be average. It's an odd comment, especially in light of looking at the first seven games of the season when the start to each match was an issue. So I don't mind him thinking that or talking about that with his coaches, but I, it felt like an awkward public thing to say mm. uh, because everyone understands you've been on a break, so it might be tough to get back. But because you know that, you should be going, preparing extra hard to come out guns blazing uh, or come out very, very strong in terms of your uh, – following through on your, your your tactical game plan. Well, and they had their friendly last week as well, so... Yeah, to boost the morale, 4-0. Yep. It, it was just disappointing. I mean, that's the thing, Steve. Still, like, through eight games, still no goals in the first half. It's concerning. 
Yes, if they turn it on the second, that's great. But you can't always rely on that. I mean, they're having to come back to in the second halves of games if they've conceded in the first. Late lapses also a worry. So it's it's not looking great at the moment. No, uh, it's 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 basically a slog right now for them to try to get this turned around. It's gonna, uh, and it's not gonna get any easier too because the games are coming faster and faster. As you, you know, like they're playing on Wednesday. Um, it, it, I for me, this was like uh, they're hanging on to like a one-one draw and just losing it late. So I think that's maybe why MDS was upbeat that they knew, he knew that they didn't play very well and they still had a chance to get points. Um, and considering how many people they were missing as well uh, from the lineup, both right backs and everything like that. Um, but the fact is that they've They've dropped their fourth straight game at this point, and um, they're they're dropping in the standings right now, where it will be very difficult for them to turn this around and get them back in this because other teams are just going to be stronger at this point, and they're getting stronger and stronger. So it's just a matter of um, figuring out how to turn this around as much as possible. So you're not losing more ground in the table. Yeah, that that's that is. Big, big concern of mine. Well, we'll actually come to that in a sec when we look ahead to what is to come. But let's look at one of the positives. I thought Javain Brown had a great game. First few minutes, maybe a little bit shaky, kind of settling in and stuff. But I mean, after that, I thought he, he was one of, the, one of the standouts. Brian White as well. Looks like he's a guy that, that can get goals. What did you make of Brown's performance? I, I think... Good, I think he's coming into his own. Uh, I think he's uh, proving to be a very uh, good squad player at the bare minimum. And I think that's encouraging. The other thing, which is going to be helpful, particularly where things are at right now in this season, is that he can play on both sides of the back line because I think they're going to need him. And uh, centre-back as, as well if needed. Yes. So. Yeah, I, well, I don't know. I, I'd be surprised if we see him at center back this year yeah. because I think he's going to be so needed and and hopefully there are other options. I mean, you, when you're playing Andy Rose as center back, it's not like he's going to play ahead of Andy Rose. But yeah, he's going to be needed on both sides uh, probably in the next few weeks, you would imagine, um, and, and at other times this season. So he's been a, a bright spot because, again, coming out of the draft, we talked about the kind of things that you should expect. And to me, already – he's a, like ahead of expectations or doing better than expectations, mm. in my opinion. Well, he's, a, he's an unusual draft pick as well, Steve, though, because he's represented his country at, at senior level and he's in the provisional Gold Cup roster as well for, for Jamaica off his own yep. accord. Yeah, but maybe don't talk to him about that after a, a club loss. Did you? Oh, did did, you I, I didn't hear his... Oh, yeah. I, I can't remember who it was, but yeah, it was. they were asking about his call up to the national team and he was just like, I'll focus on that later. Right now, because it's not even a call up; it's an inclusion in the the bigger goal and the preliminary squad, roster, preliminary yeah. squad. And so he's just like, oh. right now, I'm just focused on what happened tonight and trying to get better. Kind of answer. It was a little, was a little yeah. bit awkward, but those those post match press conferences, they tended to be pretty awkward this season. Yeah, uh, but uh, Jermaine Brown, I think, like, uh, I like uh, a lot of people had him. Uh, Pegged as an option, uh, but nobody really had him as a main option, obviously, to start off with. But maybe we were fo- focused a little bit too much on, uh, oh, what was the striker's name? Eto? Oh, David Eggbo. Yeah. Eggbo, Eggbo. Well, we, um, we've yeah. let go of the Eggbo. 
Yeah, so he's he's obviously uh, in the lower leagues on loan right now. But um, well, rumors are that there's international interest from Europe. He may actually be be heading overseas. Oh, we're gonna get another sale in. Mm. Um, um, so, uh, but the thing is with Jervane Brown in the MLS draft, the thing you want a lot of places you want to focus on where you get good talent and good starting players are the, in the wide areas and at center back, like uh, fullback, wingers, center back. That those are the areas you get a lot of good talent in, um, where you can uh, supplement your roster and save you know big money for the you know the, the center midfield spots and the striker spots. Um, so it, it, it makes sense that they got up there. Um, Egbo, I can understand why people, because they probably see his physical ability that he's uh, displayed in uh, college, and they're probably thinking he just needs some work in, uh, in finishing. And maybe they can, a lot of teams look at that physical aspect of him and thinking that they can get a diamond in the rough and bring somebody in at a lower cost. Moving on to Brian White. Now, I, I put a kind of a fun little poll for 24 hours up on Twitter asking who's going to finish this season with the most goals for the Whitecaps between Brian White and Lucas Cavallini. I personally think it's going to be White. The poll, though, 56.2% are sticking with Cavallini, sticking with the Canadian. That surprised me a little bit. I mean, what do you guys think? Let's start with with Zach. Do you, who do you think is going to score more goals? White or Cavalier? I mean, with Cavalier, you have to factor in, you know, being away and potentially being away with Canada. Missing two to, let's say, let's say one to three games for suspension. So there's there's a few a few variables there with him. Um, the one thing that I found um, a little bit awkward, actually, today, or today, in Friday night's game, was they did a straight swap, right? It was Cava for White, right? Yes. Which felt and like, I think they were going to take White off just before he scored, because Cavallini was stripped. It, it just it felt. I mean, I guess that you again a one all draw would have been fun, would have been you know encouraging on the road, but I also I also think I also hope there's an opportunity to see those two players together, because um, I mean with the four four two that they were, were they were working with or they were using as their base foundation at the beginning of the season, uh, it would be nice to see them play together. But to answer your question. I guess right now my head says, my heart says Cavallini, of course, but my head says White. The thing is with Cavallini is if they do decide to just go with one striker, I can I can see him getting more playing time. But mm-hmm. Zach is right that he will be away and uh, have the odd suspension as well. So, uh, But I, overall, I think Cavallini will get more time on the pitch. Now, if they play two up top, uh, that might be a different story. Uh, where because uh, Cavalini at this point is, is acting like a playmaker, anyways. So, yeah. it, it more more likely if they play together, he'll be setting up White for more goals. But yet, the thing is, as well, you've got two players that thrive in being in around the box, the six yard box, and we're just not getting the ball into those positions. So, that's something that obviously needs worked on. The glaring a mission of a number 10 still hangs over it. But I mean, with Brown doing well, with White doing well, should we only sign players that are names of colours? And if so, can we get Sebastian Blanco up from Portland? Yeah, it sounded like, uh, I think Russell Beresford mentioned it on Twitter that it sounded like a Quentin Tarantino movie, Reservoir Dogs. Yes. With with that goal. Um, and Rose nearly got in the score sheet as well. 
Yeah. So let's just do our scouting for for colorful Julie, named players. Julian Green, American sort of winger attacker who came up through Bayern Munich, is at oh I forget now is it Ingolstadt? He got he got promoted uh, from maybe the third Bundesliga to the second Bundesliga or the second Bundesliga to the first Bundesliga. I can't remember, but th- th- he would do well in MLS. But I don't I, think the Whitecaps would pay for him. I, I find George Green, who's a 25-year-old midfielder with English non-league side FC Osset United. So obviously he, he fits the number 10 that they're looking for and he's out of contract at the end of June. So cheap. I mean, what, what could possibly go yeah, you tweet, there? You tweeted about that, correct? I did, yes. And yeah, what, sir, what level I, is he I playing spe- at again? Uh, eighth tier of English right. football non-league. Right. So maybe just the but right... A step tier. up... I, I go with Zach's suggestion before that one. Yeah, maybe. Right, let, let's look ahead to the brutal spell that's coming up. LA Galaxy come to Utah on Wednesday, and then that's followed by a trip north. They're getting close to Vancouver because they're going to be playing Seattle at the former Clink. Will they get out of jail? Who can see? But I worry with these two games coming up, you're already five points back of the playoff spots. A horrible July to come with players away at Gold Cup as well. We seriously risk being cut adrift of the pack by the time we actually make it back to Vancouver, which optimistically is going to be like August 18th. And I think there's like 13, no, 12, 12 or 13 games to play between now and then. I have a worry that this a bad run is coming up. Am I just being too pessimistic now? Well, at this point, I have the, the over-under for the end of the season show is going to be mid-August, late August <laughs> at this point. What's the earliest it's been in the past, like April or May? Start, no, not that bad. I think I jokingly had as one year. I think start of September, end of August, start of September has has been previous years. Yeah, because I think one year, well, that was around the time when Robbo was fired, around mm. that time, end of oh, August yeah. or so. Oh, yeah, and the man that took over from him, Craig Dalrymple, has now joined Inter Miami as their head of their academy down there. So, oh. good move for Craig. Just just an update, uh, Julian Green is at uh, Guter Firth, and they've just been promoted to the Bundesliga. So, oh. again, not going to get him. But not going to get him. But I don't know, your... Axel's German contacts... Yeah, those those have paid off well, haven't they? Oh yeah, that was actually what I forgot to ask him. Ah, damn it, that was one of the questions I forgot to ask. It's okay. Him. I'm sure you'll have another fifty minutes to sit down with him at some point. Yes, <laughs> my my heart says we've got a chance because the Galaxy defense is a little bit woeful, and we'll come to their game tonight against Seattle, where Seattle just shut them out in the in the second half of that one. But my head says Chicharito's in form. Our defence is all over the place. It could get out of hand. Let's start with you, Steve. I think if they have a chance in any game in the next uh, bit run-up, I think this is the one they have. They have to get points out of this. I think they could, uh, but I wouldn't put any money on any <laughs> on, on, on them winning anything at this point. And this is a, technically a home game, right? Yes. yes. With all with fans, all all the Mexican fans that want to come in Utah, yeah, I I I actually agree with Steve in terms of this is a game they really 
need to get something from uh, at worst a draw but I, I tend to more so agree with you you, you Michael on that it it's going to be a, a problem match for them and I think it's not just uh, LA it's not just the fans or whatever I think Greg Vanny uh, will be able to prepare his players uh, and uh, put them out in a tactical way to take advantage of Vancouver it is sweltering in Utah just now. So that could maybe play in the Whitecaps' favour because they've got a little bit used to it. Looking at the fixtures that we've got coming up, I we've got Dallas away on July 4th. Possibly a chance to take points there, but obviously it's going to be really hot, but they are getting more used to that with where they are. And then RSL as the home game on July 7th. Those two games are possible to get points. This Galaxy one, I do agree with Steve. It feels to me that you maybe have to to get points out of this one. What formation would you go with? Now, let, let's just hope that, that Gooty is good to go. Um, Gashbar and Urbinski are day-to-day. For the sake of this, let's just say that they're maybe not good to go. What formation do you think you would go with? I I would, geez, I'm, I'm, I have no idea which one would be the best option. But so far, I would say, I'd I'd even contemplate a three-five-two at this point, or or a five-three-two. But they had tried us at training. I I kind of thought they might have gone for it in this game against RSL. Yeah, the only reason I would say that is because it it does put a uh, put a little bit more pressure on. Um, on uh, on 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 Chicharito, it puts a little bit more pressure on him having to deal with three center backs in in there. Uh, they could take turn take spells off the center backs and kind of switch around and have somebody else marking him or paying close attention to him. And then also, you're not as um, reliant on having a proper fullback in. Um, you can put Tybert in a left wing back spot. It's a little bit less. Uh, you have to concern. He's a little bit less concerned with having to play uh, a defending role. I thought they might have switched to a, a you know a three at the back on on uh, Friday when they played against RSL when they brought Cornelius in, but it didn't obviously happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what about yourself, Zach? What formation would you, would you like to see from this team? We're kind of limited, I guess. Four four three three surprised me against RSL. I, I like the idea of a 3-5-2, but maybe we have to go with a flat back four and some defensive midfielders to kind of cope with that, that Galaxy attack and then hope to maybe hit on the break. I think we're already at a point after eight games where it's getting a little bit awkward with the changing of, of the formation, especially like we talked about last week, coupled with the communication that's come around that this season. I think it might be wise to stay four four two or four four one one, or sorry, stay. I guess go back to, mm-hmm. return to. Um, again, not that that's the most dynamic. Or four two three one is another way to configure those players in a similar way. Um, that, that's I think would would probably be best. I also was quite surprised that they called today a four a four three three and 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 then how it how it played out as well. Or sorry, Friday night. 
but yeah, no, I think four four two, four four one one, or four two three one is what you should see against the Galaxy. Will that happen? I'm I'm not so sure. Let, let's just finish this part. Quick prediction. I am going to go for two nil Galaxy. I will go uh, one nil Galaxy. Wow. I will go three one Galaxy. Well, we're not optimistic. That's usually when the White Cats pull something out of the bag. You kind of feel they have to. I, I know Axel's talked about MDS basically would be safe to the end of the season. A bad run of games here, it's going to certainly heap some pressure on him. So we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. It's a brutal schedule ahead, busy time ahead. Yeah, let, let us know how you're feeling about it all. But that's all for the Whitecaps chat for this show. It went on longer than I had hoped, actually, so hopefully you are all still with us. We're going to turn our attention in the next part to the rest of MLS. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for June. From Moscow, it's Moscow Death Brigade. I'm wearing their t-shirt as we record this. You can't see it, although we are recording some video that's going to be up on YouTube from this show, so you'll be able to see it then. That is a song taken from their debut album, Hoods Up, that was Ghetto Blaster. Still got a couple more songs of theirs to come this month, but for this part of the show, we're going to be turning our attention to the rest of Major League Soccer. Our weekly roundup of the games from Friday and Saturday. We're not bothering waiting for Sunday's game between Atlanta and Philadelphia. We'll, we'll come to that. When it... oh, it's going to be a good game, I think. Too. Yeah, it should be. But we're, we're mostly going to focus on, on the, the Western Conference and we'll kind of rip through this a, a, a little bit. All 13 teams in the West were in action this weekend. Uh, RSL Vancouver kicked things off on Friday night, but we don't want to talk about that anymore. There was actually Deadbolt played before them, unfortunately. Yeah, but that's not Western Conference. So we oh, sorry. About, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, we only care about the West. Um. The, all the action took place on Saturday and it started with Cincinnati hosting Colorado and it ended with a, a 2-0 win for the visiting Rapids somehow because like Cincinnati's woes are continuing but they peppered 
Colorado's gold, 22 shots. They only faced seven in return, but the Rapids put the ball in the back of the net. That's all that really matters. The home side were denied by the woodwork. Rapids keeper William Yarborough had a couple of great saves, some defensive blocks, just all-round general poor shooting. But in the end, it was a first-half finish from Diego Rubio and a neat second-half goal from Jonathan Lewis that saw Colorado leave with maximum points. Michael Barrios now has assists in three straight games. Great addition he was in the off-season for Colorado. I'm surprised by Colorado. They're a bit of my, my surprise package for me so far this season. They're they're keeping it up as well. It'll be interesting to see how long they can keep it up, Michael, because I agree. They, they, they have done some good things this year, this year, and in, including in the offseason, bringing in someone like Barrios from, from Dallas, uh, from a conference rival in Dallas. I have this feeling that over the 34-game season that they might – level off a little bit and not not maybe be as high up the table or uh, but getting the points on the board early it's yes. so key but, in this league and let's be honest if you if you don't take three points from cincinnati then you, there's lots of questions that you should be asking yeah. yourself i mean they're even, not even playing. i was saying even on the road even on the road yeah especially on, yeah, oh, even yeah. on the road yeah i mean they're it's not a- playing horrible they're creating chances they're just their finishing is dreadful they have one of those it's i think it's like one of those things where you remember how it was like so exciting for people to come to the renovated um pg park michael like yes. in portland like teams like get up for it because it's a the atmosphere and the stadium stuff well i cincinnati i, I don't know about the atmosphere being amazing but the stadium is oh cracking into a stadium and it's yeah. a really nice stadium and so i think that that helps teams get up for it but the other thing about this game is Colorado once again was wearing those green shorts with the white, yeah. with the white top, which uh, it's grown on me. It looked like Ireland. Yeah, it's grown on me, and now I recognize it as being Colorado. But well, it was just nice to see all the teams pretty much playing in their normal colors and being able to differentiate what game you're watching this week. So that that was nice. I I appreciate the end of the the parley era. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, MLS will solve the. Plastic problem in the ocean, so there's no point of going back to those. True, I mean it's it's all all been solved now. Talking of plastics, there was a lot of plastic on display in Dallas. There was a lot of empty seats for this one, which was a shame because it was a it was a pretty entertaining game. Dallas won, Minnesota won. Share of the points, thirty three shots between the teams. Minnesota had eighteen to Dallas's fifteen. Eight of those were on target for Minnesota as well. Dallas only had four on target. First half, visitors by far the better team, had a load of chances. They, they broke the deadlock in the 36th minute. Franco Frajapani fired home a rebound after Jimmy Morer had, had saved an initial effort. And they nearly added a second moments later, but they were denied by another Morer save. Had to settle for a, a one-goal lead. Morer was fantastic in this game. Seven saves overall, but he was excellent. Second half was a different story. Dallas came storming back with the, the better team for large swaths of that second half. And it was 18-year-old homegrown forward Ricardo Pepe that hit the 68th minute equaliser. Nice passing move. I thought Dallas might have gone on to win this, but it was actually Minnesota that had the better chances to win it late on. But they just could not find a, a way past Maurer. And... Share of the points, I think Minnesota's probably going to be disappointed. 
Thankfully for the Whitecaps, though, it was a share of the points, because if Dallas had won, it would have been the Whitecaps that were rock bottom. Now we share that spot with Dallas. Yeah. When Minnesota went ahead in this game, I was hopeful that they'd be able to hold on. Um, but uh, unfortunately, yeah, like you said, Dallas came out far better in the second half and got a, uh, a worthy equalizer. And I think it was a, a fair result at, at, at 1-1. Uh, yeah, Dallas will be a team I think Vancouver will be doing some battle with uh, throughout the season or at least over the next month or two. Now, next up was another new stadium. We talked about Cincinnati as it opened recently. Finally, the long-awaited first MLS match at Austin's new Q2 stadium. And I say first MLS match because it actually hosted its first proper match during the week, the American women's national team took to the pitch there, which I found surprising. You'd think they would want the the new stadium to be opened by the hometown team. But, I mean, it was packed for, for this one, just over 20,000. It was packed well, for the, the women's game as well. Well, I guess they wanted to make sure that the first game had some goals in it, so maybe that's why <laughs> they decided. Yes, maybe, because this one certainly didn't, which was a shame. It was the only thing that was missing from it. It was nil-nil. It was a great atmosphere. The stadium looks fantastic. The pitch, not so much. The pitch that they're using is apparently the grass pitch that they're going to be using during the Qatar World Cup. I hope it's better for the World Cup because this one was cutting up very early on. I hope there's some grass farms nearby because they're going to have to do a little bit of of patching. The, The sod's obviously just clearly not taken yet. Two games in the space of four days probably wasn't ideal for it. It was a fairly entertaining affair, despite the, the no goals, mainly mainly in the first half. Austin keeper Brad Stuver was man of the match for me. He denied the quakes on the best of their scoring opportunities. This was one of three games I had on at the same time, multitasking, but this, the second half was a pretty dull affair. Austin still doing well. They've got all these home games coming up. The way things are shaping up just now, it's shaping up that they could finish above the Whitecaps in the standings by the end of this. Or again, am I just being too pessimistic here? Well, you're right on right now at this point. Uh, But it all depends on how well Austin... Like right now, they're on a high. Uh, They've been on a high as being a new team. they got a lot of players that are were like kind of uh, put aside or like discarded by other teams. So they have something to prove. And then now they have the new stadium where they can use that as a jumping point for the team. So uh, right now, yes, I agree that they're right now, you, you never know how the season's going to end. Uh, but uh, right now they're right on track to be uh, definitely ahead of the Whitecaps. I, I don't want to sound negative towards the U.S. Men, uh, US women's national team or, or anything like that, but this seems like really poor planning mm. in, in terms of if you're playing your first ever club home match at your new stadium – why would you and, and and you have to know that there's potential for there to be some issues with the like that's one of the things you're probably most concerned about aside from security yeah. or whatever is that is the pitch has like you said michael has it taken is it settled is it yeah is it bedded in or whatever the uh, you know whatever needs to happen there with the roots of the grass and all that kind of stuff why would you do two games in four days to, to start especially off especially the new stadium yeah. yeah, and and not and you not being the first one to play there, like yeah. I, I, I uh, having the U.S. Women's National Team there, yeah, I think that's awesome, uh, and I think it's something that they'll they'll wanna they'll wanna be a home for, right? But 
before your first game and four days before your first game? That's like really poor planning. I read it somewhere online that they were expecting some pellets to come in from Haiti, uh, but they just didn't arrive in time uh, to fix the field. Um, otherwise, they could, could they not get a, different... a visa to enter the country either. I guess the pellets couldn't. You know. uh-huh. One thing that they kept talking about in the build-up to this and during the game was apparently Austin's slogan is "Keep being weird," and they want to be known as the Weird City. I thought that was yeah, Portland. Was Portland. Keep yeah. Is this, is this is this going to be some weird rivalry that they're now going to have? MLS are going to have the weird derby to see who's the weirdest. What's uh? What's the phrase? So is it keep Portland keep weird? Portland weird, yeah. Yeah. But you mm-hmm. go down to Voodoo Donuts, the the graffiti's near that. Yeah, Austin. But, Austin doesn't really fit with the weird thing. The no, weird it's vibe. more kind of. Austin seems a great city. I really want to go and visit. I've always wanted to go, as we've said before. June South by Southwest. The stadium looks fantastic. I really want to go and take a game in there. Whitecaps are there, I think, in August. I don't want to go then because it's already 37 degrees now. So I dread to think what it's going to be like down then. So I, I need us to have a game at the start of the season in March for me to maybe make it there or end of the game in November or something. I could have sworn that I heard someone say that Austin is like the Paris of Texas. That's what they. I don't know if it's an official. No, no. I mean, the like the Paris type of. Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they didn't use Paris. Maybe it was a different city. But they're like because they are a high. They, they have like a lot of eclectic tastes mm. there. Um, they have like fine dining. Music is huge there. Like music yeah. festivals and stuff like that. They have, you have um, South by Southwest. They yeah. They have a yeah. good music scene. They have yeah. I think the culinary scene is supposed to be good there. Yeah. It's also, with I mean, te- Texas is typically known as a. Uh, a politically more a, right, a right-wing bastion yeah. kind of yeah. and Austin is a, a place where it's more dem- more you know, liberal yeah yeah liberal and so they yeah. like their the rest of Texas likes their steak and taters but yeah good luck to Austin their, their stadium looks great the atmosphere was electric today and I, I that's going to give them a boost for, for the rest of the season so we'll, we'll see how they do so I had that on one screen and then I also had LA Galaxy Seattle. Now, this finished 2-1 to Seattle. Highly entertaining first half was followed by a pretty dull and disappointing second half. LA took the lead in the 21st minute. Chicharito went down the box. Kleshton steps up, drills home the penalty. It's 1-0. But then Seattle fought back with goals either side of half time. Four minutes before half time, Yaimar gets the goal. Four minutes after halftime, Raul Rui Diaz gets the go-ahead goal. And then after that, Seattle were pretty comfortable. They shut down the Galaxy defence or the Galaxy attack pretty easy. They deservedly took all three points at the end. It's left them as the only unbeaten team now in MLS. It's extended their lead at the top of the standings to four points. Galaxy, they've got to head to Vancouver on Wednesday, as we talked about in the last part. Their their attack can definitely cause problems, but I, I think the def- Sanders showed how you can handle it, and hopefully the Whitecaps will study that and maybe learn and replicate it if, if they can on on Wednesday night, but very good win for Seattle. The, the Sounders truck keeps barreling down the road. Is there is there a reason why 
Chicharito didn't take the penalty? Did he miss a bunch of them last I year? I don't know. Was- I was really surprised when Kleshton stepped up. Yes. I would have thought it would have been... Yeah, I don't know. And again, once again, what club wouldn't want a Real Rui Diaz you know, in their side? Yeah. Absolutely fantastic addition. But that just leaves two more games to, to talk about. And the first of those that we're going to look at is the other Cascadian side. Another win for a Cascadian team this weekend. So two out of three ain't bad, as Meatloaf once sang. 2-1 over Sporting Kansas City. It was a packed piggy park. It served up a cracker. KC took the lead. Jalen Lindsay fired home a beautiful 28th-minute opener. Portland tied things up, though, eight minutes later. Dyron Aspria buried a low one from just inside the box past Tim Melia, who I think saw it late and didn't get down well for it. Game ticked into first-half stoppage time, and Marvin Loria gave the Timbers a lead, basically the last kick of the half, tapped in after a horrible defensive slip from Lindsay, who went from hero to zero for KC. Second half, though, Kansas City dominated. They laid siege to that Timbers goal, they squandered a number of great opportunities. Johnny Russell had a, a few great chances and a couple of weak efforts. Then Sebastian Blanco made his return late on in the game, got a rapturous reception, been missing since September with a torn ACL. Almost his first like incident on the pitch, it was a foul and he kind of... Well, it, it wasn't necessarily a foul, but he injured the other guy because... I can't remember who it was for KC. Basically, they both went up for the header and the KC guy just headed right into Blanco. Blanco just walked it off. Polito had a chance to win it in stoppage time for KC, fired into the side netting, but this was a good win for Portland. And when KC took the lead, I thought they'd go on and hold on, but Portland came back well and managed to to see off a, a concerted KC attack. If, if, if Steve, if you haven't seen it, you need to go back and watch Kansas City's goal and see just, it's like he doesn't get credited with an assist, but the determination of Polito on the play made yeah. that goal happen. And uh, I took full, I take full credit for that. I, I so. thought you yeah. would appreciate that. I, I, I had heard that if he had scored today, he was going to lift his shirt and there was going to be a message to you underneath. Yeah. We'll have to wait. But the... Last game of Saturday and the last game to feature Western teams this weekend was an absolute snooze fest in the first half. It finished though, LAFC won, Houston won. I really don't know how the way this game played out. First half, neither team had a shot on target. Dynamo didn't even have a shot in in the first half at all. It was all LAFC, but even then they weren't really doing much second half they obviously got a bollocking and they had more urgency right from the start uh they took the lead wide open jose sifuentes at the back post from a corner made no mistake from close range i think it was about four or five minutes and at the start of the second half i thought they'd go on and, and pop a few more away but then from absolutely nothing houston found themselves back level 59th minute, Maxi Ruti, he's a guy, if you give him a chance, he's going to take it. He had three LA players around him, found the back of the net, and then almost seconds after the restart, got a second, but it was tipped over. 
LFC pushed for a late winner. They didn't get it. Another couple of points dropped at home by LAFC. Big, big win for Houston here. Or big, big win. And that they got a point. But yeah. a good result for Houston. How many goals is it now for Uridi in the season? He scored in four of the last five. So I don't know what he's got altogether. So again, he he's this guy who I think he sort of like feels like he scores in spurts. Because um, he doesn't stay places for a super long period oh. of time. He's he's a, he's a kind of like a go in between type player where somebody they're always looking for a top striker and they're ready he's he's kind of there for the time being until they find that top guy, and so I don't I think he's just somebody that um, he's a I I kind of always relate him to a poor man Rui, Rui Diaz kind of a poor man's Rui Diaz where he's always in around the box he can if you leave him open he'll find a way to score goals on you. He's having he's having a good year. Yeah. yeah, he certainly is. And Houston still keeping there or thereabouts. I mean, the stand in Seattle in, in the West, out on top, 21 points from their, their nine games so far. They've got a four-point lead over Sporting Kansas City. Colorado, third on 16. LA, then on 15 points. And then a bit of a gap then, three-point gap to Portland, Salt Lake and Houston all on 12. San Jose's on 10. And then the Whitecaps down in 12th spot on 7. Dallas just below them on 13. So five points already out of the playoff places in the West. You want to keep in touch, but as we've talked about, two tough games coming up this month, lose those and they could be well adrift. Already it's hard by to, the end of June. It's hard to be out of touch at this time in the season, in my opinion, because I mean, in touch is what like two, two or three games away, so six yeah. to nine games yeah. away. So it, I mean, yeah, all it takes but is the a, problem. A good run. Problem is the confidence is going lower and lower for them to get get those two or three games in a row. Oh yeah, uh, until I mean, unless they get a full roster back. Yeah, what worst case scenario is they could finish June eleven points back. Okay, I, so I, I uh, guess, but so I'll give you a super recap of some of the Eastern games that sure, went on. I, this I only watched the TFC one, and that was yeah, that was fun. Yeah, the I was gonna go to that. I was I'm gonna skip the Red Bulls one. They beat Nashville two 0 because in uh, in reference to Zach, I don't want to upset him too much. Uh, so we'll skip the Red Bulls one. Uh, TFC three two Orlando beat him, um, and basically. Three of the goals in the first 10 minutes. Uh, Orlando Tesho Akadeli scored in the first minute. Always, and Charles then, always helping Canadians. That's the second, second, they've let second score. goal, second first minute goal Akadeli's got this season. Yeah, and Akadeli then set up Nanny for the second one in the eighth. Uh, Akinola, potential Canadian, we'll talk mm-hmm. about that later, um, scored in the 10th minute. And then um, then they tied it up before the halftime. So we went into the half 2 2. Uh, and yeah, then Osorio, another Canadian. Yes. Oh, yeah. Urso uh, scored in, uh, in the 84th minute to give Orlando the victory. And you want to talk about Dyers in the standings. Uh, TFC right now is a point ahead of Chicago and Cincinnati at this point of the year. And all is not happy, of course, still in TFC. They still haven't solved this outdoor situation. And the, their points per game, I mean, as bad as things are for Vancouver and things are not good for Vancouver. The points per game for TFC is even worse than Vancouver's yeah, at this moment. Yeah. And uh, Cincinnati has a game in hand, and they're only a point ahead. Oof. Also, uh, TFC changed their keeper for this one, so Bono dropped. Oh yeah, out. that's so, right. But they I, still lost. 
I, I don't I, like I know I've done this a, a few times over the years. I don't like doing it, criticising commentators. Vic Router was absolutely awful today. But if you watch it back, he doesn't even call the first goal. He's got no idea what's happening. The problem is, is you're putting a guy who doesn't call soccer anymore that much. He used to call soccer quite a bit. So they're pu- they put him in a difficult position. Uh, in this case, and then on top of that, he's calling it from a studio where he's probably not used to doing that at all. So I I don't blame Vic at all. Like he used to, when he ca- called games back in the old uh, uh, Canadian Soccer League. Um, I can't remember what's it called the Canadian Soccer. I can't remember what it was called yes. back then. When the CSL, okay. yeah, yeah. When, he was fine. He was he, he was a decent guy to listen to because at that time you didn't have very many options. But now with so many hearing so many different play by play, he's not a he's not a a soccer play-by-play guy anymore at all. He's a, yeah. There's a nostalgia factor with him, but yeah, Michael. I wonder if I I I watched it. And I I know you, I saw your comments, and I didn't wasn't I wasn't really again. I was kind of multitasking, and I was more watching than listening to what was what was going on. So I didn't really notice anything. They they had a lot of issues on that broadcast because Caldwell was talking his to his director and not muting his mic a lot, in the, especially in the first ten minutes. Uh, oh, like there, I, there I was, ended up turning the sound down for yeah, a minute, there was a, bit, so there was a lot of there was a lot of issues in the first ten yeah. minutes. Usually, I um, listen to games with the volume off now, but maybe Caldwell just like his kilt was up and yeah, know, could have been. <laughs> well, put, it um, down, put it down. One one bit I did hear in the second half was they were having a debate, or it was mainly Ryder was having a debate, saying, "Well, now that Westberg's in, do you think they're just trying to showcase him so that another team might be might want to buy him?" Uh, and then he was going on about Orlando might need another keeper. Is this a chance for him to impress them? And Caldwell just ignored it and he just kept going on about it. And in yeah. the end, Caldwell's like, I-, I think they more want to win a game than try and showcase a, a goalkeeper. Oh, yeah, that's awkward. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, Orlando has like Peru's yeah. like starting yeah. keeper slash captain, I think, is, the, is their keeper. So, um, so the next game, we got New England and uh, New York City FC. Uh, this was New England. Game. Well, yeah, ultimately win this game. A great uh, winning goal by, um, I think it was, uh, I can't remember who scored it, but, oh, McNamara. But it was set up, beautiful set up by Buchanan. Yeah. Uh, who came on in the 60th minute. Uh, once again, another game-winning assist by him. Oh, great play on the wide side. Uh, DC United beats uh, Inter-Miami 1-0. Uh, 72nd minute PK by Ole Kamara. Biggest two. call here. What? Was it two? two. It's listed... Two huh? sendings offs. Oh, two sendings off. Yes, uh, the Gregor one in the fifty-six was the second yellow card. The Shawcross one in the eighty-fourth minute was basically. I don't even want if we want to call it a tackle or it was a wrestling move. Oh, basically, I yeah, have he, to have to watch I, this now. I was going to ask you <laughs> what you guys call that in your wrestling world. I I, I don't know because he kind of grabbed him by the chest and just threw him to the ground, basically yeah. while going around him. I don't. I've never seen around his neck, Michael, and then kind of threw him to the. It would be interesting to uh, see if somebody uses it wrestling. Oh, wow. I didn't they call the shot cross? Didn't have time at half there. Yeah, you, you could call it the shot cross if you want. Good. Um, Columbus beats Chicago, but what else is new? Uh, <laughs> the team beating Chicago. 2 0. Zardes with two. Yeah, Michael Zardes oh. with a brace. Oh, yeah. Double jizzies. Um, and so, yeah, and, and just to go get the standings in the East. Um, New England right now running away with it with 20 points, if you can see it running away with it at this point. They're five points up on Orlando um, and six points up on Philadelphia. Obviously, Philadelphia playing tomorrow. Uh, but at the bottom, like I said before, it's Chicago, Cincinnati with four, 
Toronto with five, and Inter Miami with eight, Atlanta with ten. Um, so, and then a whole bunch of teams with eleven in around so, the playoff bar. So again, Vancouver's five back of the pl- last playoff spot, and Toronto with six. I just watched the shot cr- cross sending off. That's a clothesline. Yeah, I, I mean, but he but he sort of also yeah. kind of throws he, like he pushes. Yeah, it was, it was lined as well. Yeah, a hook, a hook. It's, it, it's Baron Corbin's end of days. Let's go with that. I yeah, think that's, that's what I was thinking. That's yeah. yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> we're all in agreement, so that's good. Well, that that's it for our MLS roundup. That is it for our domestic chat for this show. We're going to be turning our attention internationally for the rest of this episode, starting off with the Euros. And we're going to be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's a a girl band from England from the 90s and the 80s called Fuzzbox for this song, International Rescue. When I first knew this band, they were called We've Got a Fuzzbox and We're Going to Use It. And they were a grunge punk band. Somehow... They then became this glamorous all-girl band singing kind of catchy pop songs. Which, I was playing this to Caitlin the other day and she said, why do all the songs you play by female band singers all sound the same? And I was like, no they don't. And she's like, they do. Every single one has that sound. I obviously have a type. But it's a very good song. It is from their 1989 album, Big Bang. We've got a fuzz box and we're going to use it. I thought I'd play International Rescue because, let's be honest, watching these international games has rescued us from having to just watch Whitecaps games and commentate on Whitecaps games. It's given us more to talk about. And, it, I mean, it's it's been packed. Well, we'll start by some Euros chat. Then we'll... Talk a little bit about Copa America and then a little bit about Canada as well. But we're recording this on Saturday night. It's not going to come out till Sunday night. But the the night that we're recording this, each group in the Euros, they've played two matches. We'll have a quick look at, at each group and kind of go through it and talk about a, a few things. But just start, starting with you, Steve, what's your overall thoughts on the, the action so far in this feast of football? Yeah, I think it's been pretty entertaining, um, and there've been some um, surprising results as well, which makes it more entertaining. Uh, you don't want the same kind of results every time. Three points for every game. Um, so I, I, I've enjoyed it. Um, 
obviously uh, last weekend was a little difficult to enjoy, but uh, once that kind of got um, kind of got more away from it, you got back into the football um, of aspect oh, of, of course, it. Yeah, so, you went yeah. on you went on our show last week, so we didn't get yeah. your, your thoughts on that. It, it was sickening to watch. Yeah, so um, I, I overall I think it was it was it's been a, a decent run uh for uh the euros uh for especially with and it's helpful to have fans in the stands uh that that oh, makes totally. it more if it was an empty stadium that definitely would take away a little bit away from it what about but you zach well first of all the christian erickson let's give an update he's out of hospital now he's had an operation to have an icd put in his heart which is the heart starter they're saying his football career might not even necessarily be over which is is quite stunning but they're obviously still doing more tests and they want to make sure he's okay. But I mean, the action's been great. I've I've really enjoyed this one. The the tournament I think has been uh, quite quality on the on the whole. Yeah, there's been a few matches that haven't been that great, but there's been uh, a number that I think stand out, uh, both from a personal investment side, but also I just think quality of play. As you as you watch these games, there's been some games with you know uh, quite a high high quality of play. There's been a couple of dire games in there, but you get that at, at every tournament. And, I mean, it's set up so nicely, every single group. I, I was watching a, a show over the weekend, and what they were saying in it is, it's actually harder not to qualify for the second round than it is to qualify at, at this point. Um, my, my dark horses, North Macedonia, are the only team so far to have officially been eliminated. So, that. Uh, that was sad. What teams have surprised you guys? We'll start with you, Steve. Good surprises and bad surprises. Um, I expected most of the teams. A little bit of a surprise. I kind of called them out in the in the preview, but I thought Czech Republic. But it's still early. They could. But I think they've they've done enough to qualify for the next round. Yeah, uh, with four points. Um, and then. I'm a little bit surprised Sweden is at the top of the Group E, if you want to uh, do that. And then bad surprises or bad, uh, yeah, bad uh, negative surprises. Um, nothing really stands out. Uh, uh, maybe results-wise, uh, seeing uh, Sp- like in the same group, Spain being near the bottom without mm-hmm. a victory at this point. So that would be the two that I would look at. You had tipped Turkey as a dark horse there. I did, but um, dreadful. But, yeah, they've been dreadful, but they're also like one of the youngest teams. So I was thinking that maybe, uh, well, obviously the I, th- I have a feeling in this case the bright lights got to them, and they haven't been playing like they they leading up and qualifying. They were pretty good. Yeah, uh, defensively they were, they were great, and now they're currently sitting with yeah, and I think that the best goal record or goals against record in all the qualifiers. Yeah. And, they, and they and they had moments of good defense, even against Italy, which I think right now is probably the strongest team. Um, but uh, uh, but they just went, went once the, um, the you know the, it started leaking, the dam started leaking. It just broke apart for them. Uh, yeah, I, the Turkey thing. I I still I'm still I didn't rate them as highly as you guys did, but I was expecting far far more from them, and it seemed like. They, as much as their defense was obviously something that got them to the tournament, they didn't. The way they approached that Italy game was so negative. Yeah, and and they lacked virtually all creativity and anything exciting going forward. 
and it seemed like that was partly out of design. Like, like let's just try and go get a, a nil nil. And I, I, I think that set them on a on a the wrong track in the tournament as a whole because obviously it didn't pay off in the game, mm-hmm. and they did not look much better in their in their next game. And so I, I, they're I think one team, yeah, on the negative side, who it's it's easy to point out. I think, and obviously it's it's uh, wrapped in tragedy, but D- D- I would not have expected Denmark to uh, have no points after two games. And then I also would agree with Steve in terms of Spain. Uh, having two points, uh, Poland is is kind of having a Poland uh, performance at a tournament, which is unfortunate. I was hoping that they would be able to turn it yeah. around, but Spain Spain is worse than I definitely wor- worse, far worse than I thought I thought there would be. On the positive side, uh, surprised by teams, I think uh, yeah, there's a few surprises. Obviously, Czech Republic I think has done a little bit better than I thought. Um, not a not a not a they're not doing amazing, but. I've been surprised by the performances by the Ukraine. Uh, I've been encouraged by Finland. I thought they would do a little bit of damage. I'm really disappointed about their game against Russia. I really thought they would take a, yeah. a point or points there. But o- overall, I think the biggest surprise for me is is how Roberto Mancini has Italy playing. I did not think I did not see Italy uh, play so well going forward and to score so many goals. Right? Like, uh, there's the stats. You know, they never scored you know more than two goals in a euros in a euro match ever and so now they've done that in both of their games so far uh he's been scoring great points for me in the in the fantasy yeah. football he's been good insignia has been great um he's in my team uh, as well <laughs> benetzola has been amazing on the, on the on the left side um their midfield has been good i'm a little bit a little bit concerned that chiellini went down i don't know what his status is for sunday morning's game yeah. but a little concerned about that because as for as old as he is, he is a significant part of that of that side. But they really, really could uh, live out what you hope for them or what you thought for them, Michael. They, I think they they're really showing unless they're doing um, unless they're doing a decrescendo as opposed to their usual crescendo in the tournament. Uh, it's hard not to see them going going at least to like a semifinal. And since um, I was wearing Getting Blue uh, during our preview show, which you can still watch, I guess. I don't know how much effect it will be, but um, I'm going to basically adopt them as my team now. There you go. I'm also now really that they've won their first two games too. I'm also really happy with Germany's performance, both against France and against Portugal. France against France, they were a little more conservative going forward because they did not want to get caught out by France's pace on the counter. Um, and so, yeah, only only lost to an own goal, but lacked the, the create the the freedom to be creative or to be more attacking, which they showed against Portugal. Um, and yeah, just really encourage Gusans on the left side has been uh, probably one of the biggest standouts for me because one of the players I know the least plays for Atalanta. I think I might have said he plays for PSV before on the show, but plays for Atalanta in Italy. Um, and um, yeah, really, really encouraged by the performances there. And also, Michael was really, really happy for your point against the English. Uh, I felt I think- like he'll win. Yeah, everyone. I mean, they to me they they played a, a better game. They utilized their squad far better than than the English did, and um, yeah, really really exciting. How it's a it's a it's a travesty that Jaden Sancho was not in the not not available for selection for the first game and left on the bench for that for that game. That shows how poor the coaching is or the valuation by the coaching staff or the English FA is of Jaden Sancho, who is uh, a real, real quality player who I've seen play quite a bit. 
Uh, and I think he, I think he's the kind of player for me. And I know I'm Bundesliga biased, but far more could have made an impact on the game than than Jack Grealish, who I think is you know has you know great upside and great potential and all that. I, I'm just shocked that Sancho didn't see the field in that game. Yeah, I want to look at Group A because by the time the most folk are going to be listening to this, because it's going to be out after the final games have been played, Italy play Wales, Switzerland play Turkey, and. Wales are the team that surprised me. I did not think they were going to do as well or play as well as they have. And Turkey surprised me in the other way because I thought they would do way, way better. I mean, right now, Italy's on six, Wales on four, Switzerland's on one, and Turkey's on zero. Now, if teams are settled on points, the first tiebreaker is the head-to-head between the two teams. Um, So, like, Italy and Wales probably... Well, Italy are already already into the next True. round. Yeah. Wales basically have a, a foot into that next round. If Switzerland can beat Turkey to get onto four points, they might need to do it by a couple of goals to get through. I, I'm still expecting Turkey to turn up at some point, but I don't know. It's in Baku, this one. I, folk will know how it's played out, but do, do you see Switzerland or Turkey getting through from this group? I don't see Turkey at all. Uh, not not at this point, even with a good victory, because they're minus five right now in yeah. the French. I'll, even Switzerland is at minus three. Um, so they have to hammer Turkey and hope Italy hammers Wales in order to have a chance even for second place. They might have an outside chance at third at that point. Yeah, I, I see Italy defeating Wales, and I see Switzerland defeating Turkey. And even if even if the, the swing between those... Um, Goal differentials differentials is not enough for Switzerland to overcome Wales. I, I see both Wales and Switzerland qualifying for the second round on four points. Yeah, I, I would think so. G- Group B, like Belgians out in front, they're already through. They've got their six points. Russia's second on three. Finland's third on three. Denmark's fourth on zero. And it's Russia against Denmark. So massive game there. Both teams are in minus two goal difference. So if Denmark can get the win there, get to three points, it probably isn't going to be good enough. Three points to go through. But there might be one three-point team that does sneak through, depending how other results go. Yeah. I, I wonder whether Belgium are going to maybe ease up a little bit, giving Finland a chance to maybe get a draw. I, I'm not sure. I, I, mean, I, 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 I see Belgium trying to win. I like go through i don't think that you you want to take a chance with this team to like uh take the foot off the gas pedal and you just you just basically want to go uh because they're not a team that can prove that's proven anything at this point and they need to get a big like they can they can't they're not a team that can you you want to take a risk of you know turning off the light switch and hoping you can flip it back on yeah because i i agree i see belgium beating finland because for Belgium to lose to Finland would mean they finish behind Finland. So that actually works better for them because if Belgium win the group, they have Italy in the quarterfinals potentially. But again, if you as a football nation, as a football club team, you can't play. Like I don't think you. I don't think you give away games. Like I don't think at this level, you you can't do that. I, I I think you lose. You would lose the room. You would lose the player. I I don't think any anyone saying, hey, yeah, let's maybe let's rotate the squad heavily so that we can get the easier game down the road. I I, I see Belgium, like like Steve says, they have something to prove, and I think they'd rather prove it against the best than you know. Uh, I, I think they'd rather 
I think they'd rather go up against Italy in the quarterfinal than like lose in the semifinal on the other side kind of thing. So I, I, I see them wanting to win this game because also, again, they legitimately could jeopardize even their place. Tech- oh, no, they were through. You're right, they're through. But they, 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 there's a chance for three teams to finish on six points here. So I don't yeah. think I don't think they didn't want that. I think they are they are going to win, uh, which is not good for Finland, who I had had hopes for. But I also see Denmark overcoming Russia, and so I see a three way tie for for or for the second place. And how 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 the numbers work, and you know how much Belgium beats Finland by that's going to make second place uh, interesting. And then yeah. it's, then it's also going to be the third place. I agree. I agree with you, Michael. It, it it will be hard to advance with three, but my hope is, is that Belgium will get all not, get nine points, come first, and that somehow Finland and Denmark will both be able to come second and third and both advance. Highly I, unlikely, well, I know, but that's what I'm hoping for. The thing is, if Denmark if Denmark could win, they they have a, they they basically are second place because uh, both Russia and Denmark are minus two right now. Um, so they they would be because I'm, I'm assuming Belgium would beat uh, uh, Finland by a couple of goals. I don't think it's going to be that close a game. Yeah, you're right. You're I, right. Think, I, think, I think Denmark would be second place in this case, so yeah. they could they could actually back get to, through in second on on the three points. But that's it, all up to whether they can beat Russia or not. Yeah, that's not a proven given or whatever. Those games are on Monday, as are the Group C games, which sees my North Macedonia boys take on Holland. That is a disaster waiting to happen potentially and Ukraine take on Austria Netherlands already through six points Ukraine three Austria three it's a shootout between those two for for second spot both of them have a goal difference of zero but if they end up drawing it's going to be Ukraine that go through having scored more goals yeah I'm really hoping Austria wins that game and Holland and Austria go t- top two. And then this is to me, depending if Austria can win by two or three, this is, uh, this is one of the groups that could finish lower than uh, Belgium or, or sorry, Finland or Denmark in, or I guess Finland in, in group B. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, group D Czech Republic lead the way on four points. Amazingly. And then they're playing England on Tuesday, who are second on four points. Again, England, potentially, if they win their group, play the second-place team between France, Germany, and Portugal. So it's a a tough slog for them. So finishing second isn't the end of the world for for England, but I don't think they want to take that that risk because they could end up dropping to third. I don't know. Happens as well. I don't. I don't know. I like for me. Like I'm not saying the players are doing this, but the way the lineup is set up, it seems like they don't want first place. Uh, yeah. the, the way they put their lineup together, uh, like they obviously got the win against Croatia, um, but uh, the game against they Scotland terrible yeah. so far through this tournament. I've got to say, England. But, England is England looks like really really poor. Yeah, their lineup is like like exactly mentioning Sancho not being in the lineup. Um, their central midfield has no, um, nothing of quality. Like no, not, not they have quality, obviously defending, uh, but nothing going forward. Um, yeah, it's, Harry it's, Kane's it's, having a shocker. Yeah, because they, they, nobody's able to get him service or anything like that. Like like even players that people are saying that are playing well, Raheem Sterling. I don't think he's played that great. He, like yeah, first, he scored first the game. He was okay. 
yeah, first game he scored the goal, obviously, but he hasn't he hasn't done that much. And then they took off uh, um, what's that other uh, the kid's name? I can't remember his name. Uh, Phil Foden. Foden. Yeah. Yeah, Foden. They took him off, even though he might have been their best player uh, attacking wise, even though he wasn't that great either. But he might have been their best player. And they did a like for like substitution there, and then they did a like to like substitution with Harry Kane and Rashford as well. Uh, so it seemed like they weren't really interested in winning the game. Uh, to me, like, like essentially, England. If I mentioned it in the chat, that as soon as they get a manager who's not afraid to fail, they might be able to accomplish yeah. something in, in the international competition. This is another talented group of English players that just can't seem to do it. And it's early days, but they can't seem to do it at the at the big tournaments where it where it really matters. I, I was so proud of the Scottish performance on Should be. on Friday, like Monday. We were all distraught after that shit game because mm-hmm. we had chances, the nature of the goals that we gave up, and that was the game that we felt we had to win if we were going to qualify. I don't think many of us thought we were going to take anything from Wembley against England, and then you're just hoping you can beat Croatia and the, the math kind of goes in your favour. But getting that point, and the thing is, in a tournament like this, the, the smaller teams, and, and Scotland is a, an unfancied, smaller, like, underdog, you kind of want them to have a moment that if they don't go through, they at least can look back and it's like, well, that was a special moment for us. North Macedonia's had it. They've got a couple of goals. Hungary got it today with, with that performance. Scotland got it against England. So I I love to see that just in general at these tournaments, but I I think Scotland's going to beat Croatia, but we should go through before third it, in, in third, yeah. and then it's not like before the the thing started we were kind of joking that's not the hardest route if you finish third coming out of this group. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I I, I think Czech Republic is going to beat England, or at least I hope that's what happened. And I know before the tournament, and even when I was listening back to our conversation about this, I thought you guys were crazy talking about Scotland beating Croatia. But having seen Croatia now, uh, yeah, they're really not in good form. Even worse Shadow off their, their sales from two Rebic years ago. and Kramaric have not been good. Perisic has he's done okay. Obviously, he scored the, the goal in the draw, and in their one-all draw um, with Czech Republic. But... Uh, yeah, I really, I really hope you can your your Scottish Scottish side can win, Czech Republic can win, and then Scotland will actually finish second ahead of England if the goal difference works oh, out, and that would be that would be great. Like last two groups, Group E, Sweden surprisingly leading the way on four points, With Slovakia surprisingly second on three points. With one goal from the penalty spot, I believe. Spain. They've created so many chances in their two games and they've come away with two draws. And, I mean, Poland played well against them today. Poland, if they had lost because of the tiebreaker, they'd have been out of the competition. So they had a lot riding on it. Now you've got Slovakia, Spain. Slovakia, no, if they just take a point from that, they're going to finish above Spain and probably knock Spain out. And... If, if Poland can get a win against Sweden, they'd be on four points as well and they've salvaged their tournament. That's what I'm hoping putting for. putting Sweden in, in peril as well. So this is a very... Like, these last two groups, very, very interesting. 
That, that's exactly what I'm hoping for, Michael, is a Poland victory over Sweden and a, and a Slovakia-Spain draw would be just just nice. Mm. It would. Yeah. Spain's a tough team to like. I just, I, do, I just can't take them. Yeah, I like Thiago Cancer because of I got to know him, you know, as a player playing for Bayern. But um, yeah, I, there's not too many other players. I mean, their captain Jordi Elba is is quality, but yeah, I don't really fancy them. Um, I think yeah, you guys are right. This group is surprisingly up for grabs right now. Um, anything is possible. Like Spain might go into that last game and score four or five goals. You never know. Um, but it could very well be another game where they they struggle to score. Um, only scoring one goal in their first two games is is probably the surprise of the tournament for me. Yeah, very solid defensively though. Now Group F, the final group, technically. <laughs> Completely up for grabs. Even Hungary's in the mix. But yep. going to Munich to take on Germany after the performance that Germany put in today, which, got to say, Zach, impressed the hell out of me. And I don't know where that came from, but they just had that spell where they just destroyed Portugal. I know there was two on goals, but you have you forced those. Yeah, They've put themselves in a, in a position where they should be getting six points. Could even win the group now. Yeah, at the same time, could lose and go out. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Are you, are you nervous? Like, for the Scotland-England game, I would I should have put on one of the a pedometer because I don't know how much pacing back and forward in my living room I did. Yeah, I'm I hardly not, sat down the second half. I'm not nervous in the... I think because I've come to this tournament with such low expectations, I'm not nervous like I might, might have been otherwise. I've been texting with Peter Zimmerman today a bunch after his game and... After the, after the Germany game, looking forward to the Hungary-Germany uh, clash on Wednesday. Um, it's, I think Germany's lucky it's in Munich and not uh, in Budapest because uh, that full stadium with their support, I think, is a, a real intangible uh, thing that you, you can't um, underestimate. Uh, and um, it'll be nicer to play with only whatever it is, 12,000 or whatever that's allowed in Italian Serena. <laughs> Um, but no, I think Germ- I mean, if Germany plays like they did today, if they play like they can, uh, I think that they can get the result that they can get, they get, they can get a result that would put them through. However, if Hungary plays uh, at or above their level, then they could also defeat Germany. They, and, they could have won today. Play. Sloppy oh, defensive play. They should have, they should have won today. Again, France, like, kind of like, uh, who were we talking about before? Um, uh, kind of like England, like just not, they, they, they haven't been great. Like even in the Germany game, they decided Deschamps chose for them to just to just play on the counter to say let's let Germany have the ball and we'll hit we'll try to try and hit them on the counter, which ultimately worked for them, right? And you know, Michael, they got the result. So whatever. But when the things change today, and uh, or things change in the game today, had to play a different way where they were on the ball and they they got they got counterattacked, you know, and they played against a team that was compact and um and pressed and and didn't give them that much time on the ball and also they just missed some of their clear-cut chances and their goal was a little bit fortunate in my opinion i mean um there was a couple there was a fortunate bounce uh there was a, a you know a, a poor attempt at a clearance uh that put it on a plate for them so um they they have they have not been great and um I wouldn't be disappointed if somehow uh, if Germany won and Portugal won and they were third uh, and, you know, not one of those top spots, but... It'd be a shocker. 
I I, yeah. I can see Germany winning the group because I think Portugal and France might draw. Right. draw. Yeah. yeah, it is possible. Portugal, I I I, w- I was expecting a little bit more for obviously from today's game, um, but um, th- this is this uh, this group is is cl- closer, way closer than we thought it was. Like uh, initially, um, I think we all thought that France was going to walk away with mm. it, but France the, the, they're showing that the signs of where. Um, they're not able to get the ball in the right spots um, to score the goals. And obviously, like you said, Zach, that they, they had to um, change their tactics in this game because they, uh, they, they, they dealt with a different type of team. And I think uh, Portugal, Portugal is very capable of doing those counters as well with more uh, and be more lethal at them, uh, and lethal finishing. So I think, they can, I think they can fall again to Portugal and, and this time actually lose the game. I, I, again, to, to my, my Bundesliga bias to come through, I'm a, and this is also my Bayern bias, I, I'm surprised that they have not used Kingsley Coman as an option. I think today he wasn't even in the 18. I think the first game he was an option off the bench, and today he wasn't included in the optional sub- substitutes. But So not to use a player like that. And they're using they're – using, and it's not like they're not using Bayern players, right? They, they have four Bayern players in the squad, you know, Pavard was at fault for the goal today. Started both games. Hernandez started the first game at left back, but they brought they brought in Toliso, who is coming off injury and hardly played uh, this year at Bayern. They're bringing him on in midfield, but they're not bringing Coman because I guess they don't want to take Griezmann off, or they don't. Uh, but they're bringing on uh, Dembele. Uh, it, it, to me, some of the coaching decisions there don't, don't like don't make sense from Deschamps. I'm always surprised by international coaching decisions. Yeah. Like I, you feel like you want to try to get the formation where you get your best eleven, but I guess they they really want to they want to just stick to their formation, mm. and they're not very uh, flexible. In that. Well, it was like like Scotland's first game. Steve Clark rewarded the players that got them there, which was not the best lineup or the best squad to go out, and it cost them. And then all the guys that we were clamoring to play started against England and. Much, for- much better performance. I forgot who Steve Clark was until I saw him during the England game. And I'm like, oh, he's the old assistant coach from Chelsea. I know that guy. I'm looking forward to the, the next few days. Some cracking games in store and the tournament's just going get, to get better and better. I wasn't a big fan, we talked about heading into this, of them playing in all these different host cities. I've loved it. I've totally come around in that. I, I think it's a great thing. Um, I... I- I think it, it works for this year, but I don't want to oh, see yeah. it every year. No. Um, this year, because of the fact that you don't want people traveling around too much or large numbers in one air spot, it really worked out well. Uh, but I do like at least have two countries that are maybe side by side that can be co-hosts because I think that that benefits better and and you get kind of a an atmosphere where people are in the same country and you kind of get the whole feeling of it being uh, based out of one country. I think that that works out way better with these international tournaments. I'm really excited for, I don't know if, I don't know if they've selected the cities already, but I'm really excited for 2024 in Germany. Like having experienced it firsthand in the 2006 World Cup, it, it was phenomenal to just be in the country, to go to games, to be, to go to the outdoor uh, gathering, uh, things for the uh, the football festivals for the tournament. It was yeah. it was a um, it was amazing, and just to be able to travel so easily, uh, it was it was amazing. I'm really, I'm yeah, I'm hopeful that I can um, like take my son 
mm. uh, to some of that tournament and have him experience. Or if not, my whole family. I said it talking to my wife. She's like, yeah, you and Kirk can go. So I would rather probably take the whole family. But even if it's just Kirk and I, yeah, it would be amazing. I think I think Germany, like obviously Germany's a, t- a country that can like do a whole tournament on their own. Yeah. Um, I, obviously, if Austria was in it, it'd be nice if they let Austria have their group games in their country. But uh, but I well, think I think worked sure. together in the past. Austria. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Austria Austria would be a good like co-host with Switzerland, though, Steve, in the model you're talking about. That's true. The, good point. The, yeah, Belgium, Holland, or the Ukraine, Poland model. Like, yeah. I I don't know how much airplay it's had here, but there's talking that they might have to move the semis and the final from Wembley because the UK won't necessarily be letting fans in from from countries that oh, might be in, uh, in them. Was, was it, yeah, because didn't they try to like get some like um, exemptions yeah. to the, in, that didn't go over well? Yeah, it's not happening. So Budapest might be uh, up for having the final because they're just cramming everyone in into there. Last little bit. What do you make of the players removing these sponsors' products like Coke, Heineken, Ronaldo did it, Pogba did it? Oh, oh, you mean in the in post game interviews yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah. I, what, what are they going to do? Ban them from this from the tournament? They're going to um, find the associations they they mentioned yeah, well, today. Well, I guess the if the association is okay with their star players doing that, then it's fine. Like I, I, I it's going to be hard for them to stop them unless you're. Unless you have something ahead of time hmm. where you put it there, you can't move these things out of the way. Is there something, Michael, I'm not aware of that they're, they don't like about these companies? No, because they're not being sponsored. And they have, probably have their own, like, like No, Pepsi? well, that, that wasn't why. Oh, was in, it? In, okay. No, in these cases. Like, if that was the reason why, I would be totally against that. Because yeah. it's like those companies haven't paid to sponsor. Ronaldo yeah. removed the Coke bottles because yeah. he feels it's an unhealthy drink and people should be drinking uh, water. So he held up a bottle of water and said, water, that's what you should be drinking, not like soft drinks. And Pogba moved, I think it was Pogba, moved the, the Heineken away because he's a Muslim and doesn't drink alcohol. Oh. It, it was a non-alcoholic Heineken they put in front of him, but still, it's still visible product. So yeah, exactly. He, he moved I, that away. So I gotta say, both of those are for to me good, legitimate, yeah. personal reasons. Yeah, I, I can't as remember who it was. That... One of the players from, I want to say the Ukraine, uh, said, "Where's the Coke bottles?" and put them all in front. He said, "If you want to sponsor me, I'm, <laughs> I'm here." <laughs> No, but, uh, the the Ronaldo one is whatever. He didn't have to move him um, because he could have just said water is a better option. He could just say that and just have the Coke bottle. The, the Pogba one, totally understandable there because uh, if it's against your religion. And I don't see how you can find somebody for that either. I know. Well, no, you. I, I see how you like uh, – it's – I mean – the players are a part of a tournament that's being put on by like they're they, they're working for an organization that's connected with this bigger organization that's putting this thing on that you know the who sponsors it and whatever like no I, but I, i'm just saying the physically the bottle doesn't need to be there they could put a little banner no, but that's the thing that that's part, that's part of the like part of the sponsorship deal like no i understand that yeah well whatever the case is but but I, I, as uh, what i was going to say is ronaldo there's not too many things that ronaldo does that i think are the right decision yeah and, yeah and something the, I, I would applaud him for and yeah with pogba i would stand with him too and i think if you're pogba I, i'm thinking you'll be like oh whatever who cares about the fine right i'm just i'm gonna do this yeah. case I, I said i stand with ronaldo anyways because i think pepsi is the superior product of <laughs> sponsor especially sponsors 
But that is it for our Euro chat. Uh, just to round this section off, we're going to bring you this week's wavelength. As regular listeners will know, I'm playing songs for Scotland because there's been seven or eight, possibly up to ten now, songs released for Scotland's Euro campaign. Anything to cash in in the Tartan Army. This was one of the first that came out. It's from a fife band called Rudebeard. And it's a reworking of a song from the guy in the band's previous band, the Newtown Grunts, who we have played previously in Wavelength. This is their song, Topokes and Tragedies. Twenty years and more Your hearts were on your jerseys As the piper marched you out into the fold For a shot at glory Our chances stand or fall We never stopped believing We suffered with you We kept every bond Their grades a long way from home From the cities and the times where you were born Your bravery God just wanted to accept and you know that we'll follow you evermore Go and fight for your flag On the hallowed turf at Hampton To get with you to Wembley oh, From the fort to the quiet side You shall return the hill You'll run our hearts and you'll never roll alone On that November evening You wear the stuff that dreams You fought them hard and well Fire the like we have never seen You'll be remembered like those before have been Like King Kenny before you Jesus McFadden, Dave Neary and Jock Steve Bell Rage a long way from home From the cities and the times where you were born Your bravery got just what it deserved And you know that we'll follow you
Rude Beard there, Toe Pokes and Tragedies, Cheering on Scotland, one of the many songs for Scotland's Euro 2020 campaign. But moving on from the Euros, let's turn our attention now closer to home and the Canadian national team and World Cup qualifiers. And we are cock-a-hoop because Canada are going to the octopus. They've got a foot in the octagon. Hopefully they're going to fight their way through and have their hands lifted at the end, heading to the road of Qatar. There's a long road ahead. 14 games still await them. Possibly 16, depending what happens in all of this. And all of this was possible, of course, because they beat Haiti on Tuesday night, 3-0 on the night, 4-0 on aggregate. Goals, or at least one goal, seen by millions and millions of people around the world. Scored by a Canadian. Scored by a Canadian who I felt really sorry for. And like in all seriousness, I hope he's okay after that. Because that's the kind of stuff that could really damage someone's mental health. It's like we're all watching it and folks making jokes about it and it's going viral. This poor guy suffered a lot. The the, be- the best part was, I don't know if you saw the someone on Twitter put it in the one of our um, heritage moments of Canada. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. That was my I favorite didn't. one. The thing is, uh, the, the funny thing is about him, just to quickly about him, he made a great save in the first half. Actually, well, he had a couple of good saves in the yeah. first half. I mean, Fulberg saying about match fixing and stuff, it's like you can't accuse him of that when you see he played out of his skin in the first half. Well, well no. I mean, you can't accuse someone who, do, who does that of match fixing because the goal of match fixing is to not make it look like you're fixing a match. <laughs> yeah. To do that is so yeah. obvious it attracts so much attention that yes. you would never do that if you were trying to fix a match. Yeah, that's true. And I don't think you could even possibly try to do that again, just the way it worked. Trying to no, it was, it, it was a near perfect, near perfect own goal. Totally felt sorry for him. Yeah, I don't think it would have made a great deal of difference in, in the end, but 3-0 on the night, 4-0 on aggregate. Canada is through to the octagonal. The 14 games await them on the quest for Qatar. Possibly 16 depending where they finish in the group. We'll get into that in a sec. As I said, I've given some of my thoughts on it in, a, in one of the extra podcasts. Let's start with you, Zach. What did you make of the, the overall performance and just getting to, to this stage of the tournament for the first time? The last time they played in a, a game in this round was 1997. Things didn't go great then. Can it be better this time round? Yeah, I think they will go better this round, but or this time around. But yeah, I'm really, really happy. I think we saw in the second leg the performance, uh, the the goals, the results that I was hoping for in the in the first leg, and ultimately, this was debatably comfortable for Canada, which I think it needs to be. And not not so much so that they get comfortable as they move into this this next round, because you're right. This is going to be a, a, a battle. It's going to be a war. Uh, this the, the the octopus, the octagon, whatever you whatever you want to call it. These games, it's going to be it's going to be so intense and going to be uh, it's going to require so much, especially when they're playing like two or three games. I think there's sometimes where they're playing three games in a uh, in a quick succession or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's going to be it's going to be so massive. 
Um, and hopefully by then supporters will be allowed to go and we can go in person and get behind uh, Canada and spur them on to, to victory. But I don't know, I'm really, really excited. Uh, I thought the, the performance was, was, was good. Uh, you know, kudos to John Herdman and the coaching staff for, I think, preparing the players in the right way in the midst of unique circumstances. And um, yeah, just so, so happy and so, so thankful for this opportunity to return to the final round of, of World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF. And this time, uh, hopefully to get over that hurdle and to actually make it to, to the World Cup finals. What about yourself, Steve? How yeah. are you feeling watching it? How are you feeling after it? Uh, nervous as always, um, watching it. Um, even once they got that, the first goal was just a lot of relief. The second goal uh, they scored, um, that was basically, then everything was, you knew everything was done and dusted. It was a nice to see a third goal in going as well, just to just to, for the celebration and everything and the way the third goal went in. Um, just off the post, and he was able. Uh, Junior Hurlett was able to clean it up. Um, it, it, it was fantastic. The the moment I really enjoyed, though, um, uh, just in a sentimental point of view, was afterwards uh, when they showed them in the group and everything. And it was Million Borian kind of leading the charge, a guy who chose Canada um, over other options. Like obviously now people are going to say, oh no, there was no really other options. It was, he was always going to choose Ken, but just for the fact that even on, on paper, on, on, on the surface that it, he chose Canada and the way he was so passionate about it, especially in the, like you could be passionate during the game and passionate once you win and everything, but it's still carried over into that huddle. And that's something we don't always see. Uh, we don't see that passion like uh, uh, past the game. And so to see that, that was really entertaining. And really, really fun to watch. Does it make me a horrible future Canadian that when it was 1-0 to Canada, part of me wanted Haiti to score just to see the chaos? Cut, cut his feed. Cut his feed, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. I, like, I, but the thing is, is like, you, like, while you do live in Canada, you don't have like a direct connection and everything like that. So I can understand that. The, 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 the chaotic side of you would I want to wanted see that. Canada to win. I'll just yeah. clarify before they do yeah. deport me. But I just thought it'll be entertaining. Yeah, it was a bit too comfortable. I, I'm I was okay with it. Like I said, I was I wanted to see three to four goals in Haiti, and so it could be just a celebration in that second leg. Yeah, My, Michael, we've experienced enough moments that were un, that have been uncomfortable in, in our footballing journey in this country that. It's nice. It is a nice change of pace in the same way that it's nice to have like multiple op options, you know, in attacking positions like we've never experienced ever before. Yeah. Um, so I understand your sentiment, but I think the majority of people were, were fine with how things went. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So that victory, as well as all the victories before it, has taken them into the third round of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying for 2022. The octagonal is what it's called. It used to be the hex, but they've expanded it because of all the, the COVID things. I, I like that it's eight teams, actually. I think it, it makes it a lot better. So Canada's in with the big guns, the US and Mexico. Costa Rica's in there. Honduras is in there. Panama's in there. El Salvador's in there. Jamaica's in there, off their own accord. And it, it's setting up a battle. There's some great games ahead. 
I mean, you look at those teams, and if you look at the, the ELO rankings as opposed to FIFA rankings, Canada's currently ranked third in CONCACAF. The top three teams qualify automatically for Qatar. The fourth team is in a playoff to, to try and get that next spot. But you look at those teams, there's some very winnable games in there. Like Mexico and the US, obviously clear favourites. Canada's shown they can beat the US on, on home soil. We did that very recently. I don't think there's anything to be afraid of. We've got a great shot of doing this. Yeah, there's a lot of teams in CONCACAF, especially the you know the teams that have gone into the World Cup before, that are kind of in a dip in their program right now. Uh, they're not as strong as they are normally used to being. Uh, one of the biggest examples is probably Honduras, if I'm not mistaken. You guys can correct me if you think that's wrong. But I think Honduras is not at what their current standards are. Even Panama is kind of uh, cycling through a new group of players. Um, and they might end up being, uh, they work their way into the World Cup. But right now, they're kind of uh, just finding their own way. So those are the kind of teams that I think they have a chance. Obviously, teams like El Salvador and Jamaica, I think they are capable of beating them um, as well. And then you got a team like Costa Rica. I'm not familiar with Costa Rica. I haven't seen very many of their results in the past. But, um, you know, they can definitely win at home against a Costa Rican team. Uh, maybe not in Costa Rica, but definitely at home. So they could split those two games for sure. I have I have high hopes for the, the, these fourteen games, Michael. I, I think the uh, the Concacaf Nations League uh, group stage matches that Canada was in when they we played they played the U.S. Uh, and beat the U.S. for the first time in a long, long time. That two 0 win at at uh, BMO Field in Toronto was really encouraging. And even though the the return match was like, I think I think a four one loss um, in Florida. Uh, I was still really encouraged by that because it showed that we can take points in uh, in a setting like this, and I think Canada can take points from uh, from the states. Uh, and Canada, I think, has the potential to cause a hard time for Mexico. And um, yeah, I mean, Canada's going to be playing Mexico right in one of the games where uh, Mexico is not allowed to have fans, if I'm yes. correct, right? So yeah, that's going to also be a, another another bonus, uh, another positive thing for 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 them. So. I, but I mean, ultimately, you need to win your home games and then get some draws and wins uh, a lot on the road. And uh, I mean, that's kind of the normal thing for any kind of league you're in or any kind of uh, format like this that you're in. And um, I don't know I'm just really ex I'm really excited because the, the other thing that makes me excited is not just the plethora of attacking options we have, but it seems like there's some uh, encouraging signs at center back. Um, and and even fullback, I guess you could say yeah. as well. I think uh, Scott Ken the emergence, the brief emergence of Scott Kennedy at centre back is really exciting for me and encouraging. Um, looked excellent in, in those outings that he's had. Very very impressed by him. Stephen Vittoria, Daniel Henry, and uh, I'm forgetting the other guy's name, Ricardo Ferreira. Ferreira. Yeah. Like these are all all options that I think are really exciting and really encouraging at center back, which has been the biggest concern for the last few years. And the thing is, is the like obviously the previous games they were expected to have clean sheets, but the fact that they got two clean sheets against Haiti is an encouraging sign. Haiti is a team that's capable of scoring goals. Um, they, they've done it in the past. So get, keeping clean sheets in Haiti 
uh, shutting them out in both games, that is an encouraging sign going forward. Because like we said before, the, the back line was considered, is considered the weakness because only because where the midfield and the uh, attacking side are so strong now that we like we normally don't expect that. So this might be the typical uh, defending that we normally have, but the the forward line and everything else has gone so far above that we don't expect it. Let, let's have a look at the, the path ahead for Canada. So there's three games in September. There's three games yep. in October. There's two in November. There's three January into February, and then there's three in March to round things off. So, so far, we don't know where these games are going to get played. We'll talk about that in a sec. But September, Canada start off at home to Honduras. Then they're away to the US. Then they are back at home to El Salvador. Surely, if you're looking at qualifying for Qatar... Six points minimum has yeah. to get taken from those three games. That's a vital. Uh, if they don't come out with six points, uh, that uh, while it's not over, um, it would put a major dent in their qualifying hopes. Seven would be would be the dream, Zach. But I mean, yeah. Honduras and El Salvador on home soil, hopefully, literally on home soil. That that's got to be what you're what you're looking at. I think you meant nine is the dream, but yeah, I think nine is the dream. Yeah, I think nine is the dream. Six is the minimum. Those games, but we'll start the chat about where games should be played now. Now, John Herdman talked about he's wanting to play across Canada, take this team across Canada to let people see it. Now, it's not just as easy as that because folk are like, oh, play this game in Yellowknife, play this game in Nunavut, which is obviously not going to happen. But you're looking at the likes of, like, say, Nova Scotia or PEI or something, but it's not just having a stadium that can host these games. You've got to have the training facilities, you've got to have the infrastructure, the television capabilities, all that stuff that goes with it. It isn't just a simple case of saying, oh, let's play this one here, this one there. Oh, the island, we're meant to have some games. Let's take some of the games over to the island. No. It's got to be realistic. And playing in bitter cold conditions, it yeah. also goes against the Canadian guys. Yeah, because they're not 100% used to that, especially all of them. Some of them play in Spain, Portugal. Yeah, and nobody Florida. wants to be playing in like minus temperatures of games of football, I wouldn't think. Yeah, that was the back in the old days. I think the last game we were qualifying in 86 was in Newfoundland, and uh, I think it was Honduras. I can't remember who they were playing, but they were basically in uh, ball caps. I mean, not ball caps, the uh, uh, toques and everything and winter jackets before they got on the pitch. Um, so... Uh, but the thing is about uh, this, these, especially the first three games, the fact you're in Canada, you go to the U.S., Canada, the, the two Canadian game, locations for that, at least, needs to be correlate re- really close to wherever the U.S. decides to play their game yep. against Canada. So if it's in the East Coast, you got to play those two games on the East Coast. If I it's agree. in the West Coast, you got to play those two games on the West Coast. You got to have some kind of quick connection where, because it's second, fifth, and eighth. Those are the dates currently listed. So that's not very much travel time. You need to be close by. Um, I'm willing, if they put it in the East Coast, I'm willing to say play both games in Toronto or play one Toronto, one in Montreal. That's yeah. fine with me. I, I, no, I'd I, play them both at BMO in, in Toronto, I've got to say. Yeah. yeah. I think you need to play them both in the same city, Steve, with that quick turnaround. Yeah. But 
Here, here's, yeah. the, here's the key. And we've talked about this with the, many issues in the past when it comes to f- football clubs and football organizations. I think the CSA, uh, maybe maybe it's John Herdman who might be the best voice for this. There just needs to be really good communication about, about this. As long as they communicate what they're doing and why they're doing yeah. it, and maybe even how they came to the, that deci- those decisions, Crucial. I think people will people will be able to understand. Uh, if all games needed to be in the Yukon, okay, I think people w- would get their heads around that, right? But if all the games need to be in Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver or Edmonton or 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 uh, Langford, whatever, like whatever, people just need to know need to know why what's happening and why it's happening. So I really really hope. The CSA will get out in front of this as as quickly as they're able to, and communicate what, what's going on. I, I the I've heard a few people talk about you know the the debate that obviously sparked right away that that uh, on Tuesday evening um, with oh yeah like you said Michael the game should be played here or we should all of them should be in Newfoundland and like you know or they all should be in cold temperatures or or whatever. Um, that that debate is really old like for someone who's been been following this for for a long time the, some of these arguments and some of these um personal preferences and whatever they, they're they're old and insignificant to me what what needs to happen is what the people making the decisions and and you know ultimately the players and the coaches what they think would be help them put them in the best place to qualify and as long as they make those decisions and they communicate it to people i think everyone else in the country should get on board with that, whatever that looks like, whatever that means Absolutely. for your personal travel plans. It, yeah. Cause here's the thing where we, like Steve said, where we play can have an impact on how we do, yep. whether it's travel, whether it's temperature, whether it's proximity to other matches, whatever it is. And we just can't put any barriers to points and to results. Um, to, we're so close. To make it easier for the European players to come in. Uh, yeah, to exactly. make it easier for them for that travel. If, if they yeah. said every game's in Montreal because it's a shorter flight, I I, I can live with that. I yeah. that's yeah. fine. But they they just need to communicate. I mean, the three of us would love every game at BC Place. Speak to folk in a Toronto podcast. They'd love every game uh, at BMO Field. It's obvious. The the th- thing I hate, and it comes up every couple of years. It's this pissing contest between Canadian fans of, oh no, we're more of a soccer city, we should be having it. Oh, we've got a bigger stadium, we can cram everyone in. That's not always a good thing. Like, the the Mexico game, if you've got a 60,000 game against Mexico at BC Place, a lot of Mexican fans in there. A 20,000 capacity venue, not as many Mexican fans. So it's things like that as well. But to be fair about that Mexico game, and not to get into the um, you know the the tribal or regionalism in the country, like I think the the support at the, and obviously I'm uh, extremely invested and biased when it comes to this, but the support uh, the support for that game from Canadians, uh, both practically and um, uh, experientially in the stadium, outside the stadium and in the stadium, was on a level to me that that was able to. Uh, compete with the support that Mexico received, the numbers, the volume, all those kinds of things. So, again, they, you got... they won the streakers uh, battle. The sure, and that I'm Too okay low. with that. 
I'm okay with it. But you know what I mean? Like, I no, think that to- I think totally. Canada, Canada, both in people coming to the stadium, wearing their colors, singing, chanting, uh, TIFO, uh, march to the match, all those kind of, you know, pregame activities the, the week leading up. I think those things were all really, really positive for that experience. And I think in the stadium, I think, uh, and talking to some of the players as well, I think that, that that was appreciated. Now, again, that doesn't mean that I think every game should be a BC place because it's not, it's arguably one of the poorer surfaces in the country. Yes. But, but, um, but yeah, so I, I don't think saying that because there's going to be, th- like there's 50,000 seats in 25 or 20 of them are going to be, you know, your opponent's uh, supporters doesn't negate BC place in, in my opinion or, or, or anywhere, any other stadium either. I mean, I am all for tribalism in football, regionalism in football. I, I love that. That is basically what the UK football scene has been built on over the years. When it comes to the national team, though, that goes out the window. It's like with a national team, you all pull together for the greater good. And if we work out where the best thing for all aspects of each game is, that, that's the thing. October's games, they're away to Mexico away to Jamaica, home to Panama. So in terms of that, you've got to look at, okay, so if you're in Jamaica, if they're not doing charter, which I think they might still be by that time, I mean, who knows? I I, I hope they were doing charter. I would hope they would be. I mean, they can fly from Jamaica to anywhere, but realistically, you're probably looking at an East Coast thing for that as well. October, that could maybe be Montreal. You, You give that one to Montreal. I don't know how many Panamanians there there are in Montreal. November's games, at home to Costa Rica, at home to Mexico. Those are two huge games. They have to be in the same venue. Yeah. BC Place makes sense because it's got the roof. If the player said, no, we'd, it's right in our season, we'd rather have shorter travel, you go with them, you give it to BMO. You've got to look at the weather conditions, though, as well, and see what's best. Yeah, but you also got the training facility here, too. So that gives them an advantage there for those two games. Michael, just to your point about the tribalism, uh, some of my fondest memories of supporting Canada have been centered around connecting with club supporters from other cities in the country and and being united in supporting Canada. I've had uh, some great times in Toronto, great times in Edmonton, amazing times in Montreal, um, the stories of, of marches to the match and then supporting in the stadium, just like so memorable and great to connect with people who you've been on the opposite side of yeah. and yet can come together with them. Even, That's how even though there still be. is some of that, that club tension, you can come together and, and support Canada together. It's just, it's, well, it's like so Scotland, awesome. like the Tartan army come together, even Celtic and Rangers fans come together to cheer on the team together. Hibs and Hearts fans do it. Yes, you might piss in the guy's pocket when he's not looking in front of you at the game, <laughs> but that that's just part and parcel of it. It's come to be expected. But yeah, you have to just go for the greater good. The The January game is 27th of January, away to Honduras. 30th of January, at home to the US. And then the 2nd of January, away to El Salvador. Again, if you're chartering, it puts BC Place in the equation. If not, that might be tricky. But then where else do you play a home game in Canada in January? I think that yeah. one is a dead cert for BC Place. 
That could be, yeah, that, and that, that would be, that's probably the hardest, I think, out of all the travels, that's probably the hardest, where you have to go, yeah. you start in Honduras, come all the way to Canada, and then back to um, El Salvador, or the opposite, whichever. I don't know, because the last three as well, is Costa Rica away, Jamaica at home, Panama away. Yeah, that's tough that, too. That's but, tough as well, it's a, it's a very three. tough ending, it kind of shows you how important it is to get some points on the board early in this one. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. It's nervous. I've heard some people put rumours out, and it's all just rumours just now. I've, I spoke to somebody at the CSA during the week that said, we're still looking at everything. Everything's on the table. We have to look at what's best for all aspects. Travel, logistics, training, just everything to give Canada the best advantage, but to make the players feel as comfortable as they are possible. One of the rumours going about was, it's only going to be the cities that's going to be hosting World Cup games. I I can see why they would maybe want to do that. I think it would be stupid to rule out a big venue like BC Place to, to do that, especially for a game that's going to be in January. Can't play that in Edmonton. We can, but I don't think the Canadian players would like it either. Same with playing in Montreal or, or Toronto. So that, that would be stupid just to, to look at it that way. But I mean, that is the path ahead. It's a tough path ahead. When you break down the last six fixtures, it, it's tough. But if this team is as good as we say it is, if it is the golden generation, they have to overcome this. These are the games they have to be tested in. These are the games they have to win. And this is what they need to do to get us to a World Cup again. Sure, yeah, and uh, it will be a test for them. I I know you keep saying coldest generation. I still still think it's a little bit premature to call it the golden generation it's because the, they are. Yeah, they're, it's the beginning of potentially the golden generation, um, uh, but definitely uh, a good start. Uh, whether it's to this qualifying tournament or to their generation, as you you pronounce it, um, I think it's important, and so. Whether you want to say these three first three six games or three games are important or the whole qualifying is important, I think 100%. They need to be able to get through this. Like, obviously, normally you're not having three game qualifying games in a week. That's not a normal thing. Uh, but it, everybody's got to do it. It's just not Canada. Every it's other country has to do it. not a normal world anymore. No, it the, isn't. The gold the generation might be a premature tag, Steve. You're right. But, I mean, the... The, the footballing landscape uh, and specifically with the national teams has been so frozen and so cold for so long yeah. that when it heats up this way, it's hard not to, you know, to leap to extremes like that. Uh, all I know is it's, it's an exciting time and I'm excited to watch it and hopefully, hopefully go and support at it. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, obviously 2026 is there in the background. We know that that's coming to the country and going to be exciting, but this has, there's something about earning your spot in a tournament. And right. th 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 this would, as much as hosting will, will uh, have an impact in the country, this will have a different kind of impact. And that's what I think we all long for. If people can get to see it, of course, because all the games right now are scheduled to be on one soccer. I still hope they can kind of come up with a deal even not to show the whole game, but to show highlights later that day, the next day, on something like CBC. So it's a free-to-air thing, just so that people can see this golden generation. And 
just know what an exciting team this is. You have to get that team out there onto screens. That was something I was hoping to ask Peter Montopoli, who was on the call after the Haiti game. He came on as an introduction and said, I'm I'm happy to answer any questions that anyone's got about where games might be, everything like that. And I was like, superb. And then nobody asked him a question and they didn't get around to me to ask my question. Really pissed off at that because that, that was our chance to ask so many things to him and it, it, it didn't happen. But hopefully somewhere down the road. There's a, a big tournament coming up that can help Canada prepare for these World Cup qualifiers, of course. The Gold Cup is getting underway in the US in July. The preliminary 60-man roster, which is a bit excessive. Michael, I know, don't... I know you're not eligible because you're not Canadian, but Steve, did you get the call? Because I thought I saw no, I didn't. there. No, I didn't get the call. Okay. Oh, um, I thought everyone I, I think, was on I, there. I, I think there's no point of going over who was on there because uh, everybody well, was. We, like we can mention we can mention the two players that weren't. That was Sam Adekube and Milan Borian. Uh, those were the two players that were not on the Gold Cup preliminary roster. Which is good for them because they're going to be in preseason or beginning of their season, right? And Sam's, Sam's just, got, just his new- got a new club, yeah. But, I mean, it, this is a tournament. Do you go with the strongest that you can get or do you mix and match? I, is it I, like I, AstraZeneca and Pfizer? I would. I, I really am torn on this one because I I've heard the U.S. was going for mostly MLS yeah. uh, side, so which might re- be good for the white caps because we might actually have weakened opposition. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, the fact that the, the U.S. might have be a little bit weaker now, all of a sudden, I want to go with a stronger club. Yes, because just for a chance, chance to, to win. possibly win the whole thing. Yeah, not win the whole thing, but at least beat the U.S. or yeah. potentially beat them in one of the games. But um, so I'm kind of torn. I really was looking for like a, a Group B team, uh, like some of the players from the the qualifying team games that didn't play that much, and then add some other players in there. Uh, that's what I was looking for, but I'm I'm kind of torn right now to see say which way to go mm. for them. Ten white caps on that sixty-man roster, Zach, and another white cap, Javine Brown, is on the Jamaican roster. So, like a sixth of the roster is basically white caps related, but sixty-man rosters just seems ridiculous. I don't understand this at all. Is that just like a COVID thing? Because I know before they had to submit like a thirty-ish man roster. When then I honestly don't know. It just it's baffling to me. I don't know if you can then. If someone's named on this, you can then maybe call on them if you need to get call ups or something. Or well, because I know look, for the, look at Venezuela, like Copa America. Yeah, and, I, I know. I don't know. I don't know the protocols at the at the Copa America, but I know the Euro. They have. I've heard that they have like um, a group of players who are in a like in a bubble, who are waiting in case players get lost to COVID or whatever. And I don't know the parameters or how long you can draw in that pool in the tournament or whatever, but. Uh, I, I, it's got to be related to that because, yeah, the 60 feels kind of more than I've, I ever remember. Or maybe it's a new thing. They just want everyone to feel appreciated. And so yeah. they bump the number up to 60. Like give everyone um, a hug. Sam, Sam Adekube signed for the uh, the team that I believe Perfect. finished sixth in the Turkish League last year. So let's round this bit off. Just stick our heads on the line. As, are Canada going to qualify for Qatar? And if so, is it going to be as a top three team or are they going to get through in a multi-layered playoff? 
I was uh, hoping you were going to ask, are they going to qualify for the Gold Cup? And I would say, yes, they are going to qualify for the Gold But uh, for the World Cup, I would say I, I find it very difficult to see them finish in the top three, but I can definitely see them being in, in fourth place and playing an extra couple of games. I, I agree as well. And then it's just who you play, who's in form, who does it on the day? My heart says yes. And my my head is actually saying yes, that they can that they can come top three. Um, yeah, will, I, they, will they do that? I, I don't I don't know, but uh, I, I think there's a legitimate case to be made for them to be in the top three in CONCACAF at this moment. Yeah, I think that if they if they're capable of being fourth, they're definitely capable of being a third. I'm not saying they're they're not, yeah. but I'm just saying it's going to be uh, like if I were to put money on it right now, I'd say fourth uh, is the best bet. So let's see what's in store for Canada. I'm looking forward to it. It's a feast of football we keep talking about. It certainly is for the national team. It's kicking off with the Gold Cup. I'm sure we'll be doing a, a lot of stuff around that. It's pretty much it for this episode of the show, but we just want to quickly finish by saying the CPL gets underway next weekend. I don't know if we'll have another show out before things get underway. You looking forward to it, guys? I am, actually. Yeah, can't wait. I uh, got my one soccer for another couple of weeks and I'll be able to watch some games. Nice. Yeah. CPL, the first two seasons have has been a breath of fresh air. The quality uh, has been higher than expected. I'm hoping that it will continue to uh, progress and I'm really excited to see season three get underway. I'm enjoying uh, Marco Bustos' uh, photo shoots. <laughs> Good photos on Twitter. I'm hoping to have some... CPL chats that I might bring out as a special midweek podcast. Well, kind of see how that goes. I might run out of time with all the other stuff that's going on. But that is it for tonight's show. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapSpeed. For me, it's at Zachary M on Twitter. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. And yeah, looking forward to what's in store for Canada. Let's get it done, boys. Till next time, allez la rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.